Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Skulle jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who, unlike the Florida Panthers, always show up with the people who we announced would be on the show earlier in the day. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me once again to break down all the hot streaks and cold streaks and injuries and outjuries from around the NHL to help you win your fantasy leagues, it's Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, welcome to another episode where we are really just trying to keep up with all the movement on rosters across the league. We had our whole sad injury show, but guess what? It's another, well, I mean, there's, we'll talk about hot and cold streaks for sure, but there's still a lot of injuries going around. Injuries are contagious in the NHL this season. I wonder if players were just less fit. Or something. And of course, you know, there's the whole like non COVID illness and COVID illness things. As we start, I'm seeing an update that Landeskog is not playing tonight. He's out two weeks. Kadri's still out day to day for like the umpteenth day. So we're going to be your guides to how to navigate this the very best way you can so that you can stay on top, hopefully, or get on top of your fantasy hockey leagues. Yeah, we'll cover those abs injuries and how that helps Andre Burakovsky makes him worth holding. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, also today, just in the, you know, like I prepare, prepped this in the morning. I had some plans this afternoon. It's like driving back and I see that Duchesne and uh, Ryan Johansson weren't playing for Nashville today. Uh, Kairou was out for St. Louis. It's, it's like random, but it, we're playing a really weird game, everybody. It's kind of like, what are we doing? Sometimes I ask, like, I've never played a board game like this. Or just re- I guess one of these games where you just pick up a card that could be just like, you lose. And like, oh, no. And then just like all, all the pieces, like a baby's running across the board, knocking all the pieces all over the place, and you're not allowed to like put them back. It's just like you just have to deal with it now. That's the kind of game I feel like we're playing sometimes. So we'll get into all of it. There's also obviously players who always benefit. What did you say last week, Brian, when there's a door that closes, a window opens, or another door opens, or something's opening when a door closes? So Something like that. So we're, yeah. we're, we're going to try and find the open doors. Yes, that's the goal of Keeping Carlson this year. Uh, before we get to all of that, let's of course mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one fantasy hockey website and resource out there. Uh, great articles. And I say this every week. It's true. I, I go there all the time. It's like the best site. I feel like I shouldn't even have to sell it. Just go to DauberHockey.com and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's all the latest updates about the news and notes around the NHL, plus the tools at Frozen Tools just can't be matched. We get tweets every once in a while like, hey, Brian, where do you see the goals saved above average numbers that you reference on the show? It's at Frozen Tools. The answer to every question. There's other sites also, but Frozen Tools has it all. So that's DauberHockey.com. <laughs> yeah, Dauber, that's great. We should also, why don't we shout out? We're presented by DauberHockey.com, but also uh, if you do ask where we get get some numbers i also really like evolving hockey for some goalie numbers uh we had a nice little twitter conversation on it earlier this week but if you are ever wondering about where we get stuff like elon said uh very likely frozen tools it's some version of it is on frozen tools or the only version or the actual version we use but if you're also wondering about anything else we talk about never be shy to reach out and ask 
Yeah, here's a question right here in the chat. Nathaniel's asking, how do you get short shifts? So, uh, Keeping Carlson is not only a YouTube video for the people watching live on YouTube, we're also a podcast. And how podcasts work is you can subscribe on your Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, and you'll be subscribed to our podcast feed. And we definitely recommend you to subscribe because then you get every single episode that comes out on the feed, which are our Sunday mega shows and short shifts every Tuesday and Thursday. And Ben and Lewis are doing an amazing job with those. Last week, we had Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast step in for Lewis for one episode, and it was amazing. So yeah, great job to the Short Shifts crew. And now, Brian, let's get on with this week's content, because we've got a lot to get to this week, as per usual. I wanted to, yeah, not just start with injuries. Let's start with some good news here and talk about some hot streaks, and I guess some cold streaks going around the league. We have to start right at the top of the list with, I think, one of the hottest players in the league right now, Austin Matthews. Remember, he had that slow start to start the season. He had no points in his first three games. Uh, People were wondering, "Uh uh-oh, is there something wrong? The Leafs came out, out, you know, sluggish to start the season. Matthews, I believe, was hurt for a little bit. Then he came back, didn't get points for a little bit. Anyways, we said on the show, of course, it was definitely one of the easier <laughs> takes we had to make. It was just like, I think Austin Matthews is going to be just fine. He was taking like, a lot of shots in those games. Anyways, ever since then, like it's been gangbusters, right? He had a goal and an assist in the 5-4 win over Chicago yesterday. That extended his point streak to nine games in which he scored at least a goal in all but one of those games. So it's not just a point a game. He's getting a goal every single game. 11 goals in that span, 16 points in that span. So yeah, Matthews has been amazing lately. He's been a guaranteed hit for the Timmy's gang. Uh, we're having a lot of fun on our Discord playing the Tim Hortons game. We have to predict who's going to score goals every night. Whenever Matthews shows up, you know, okay, guaranteed win tonight because he always scores a goal. Even with all these goals, though, Matthews is only tied for third in the league in goals. He has 18 goals in 26 games. That ties him with Kyle Connor. He's two behind Ovechkin, who has 20, and uh, five behind Dreisaitl, who has 23. So that's Dreisaitl, Ovi, Connor, Matthews. That's the top four in the Rocket Richard race. Uh, Brian, I guess you've already read my notes, but listeners, take a second. Try to guess who are the next two that are tied behind Matthews and Connor. Again, Matthews and Connor have 18 goals. These next two players both have 17 goals. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to be able to guess unless you're like really dialed in. Brian, did you know before you read my notes? I did, but only because I had seen a tweet about it not long ago. Oh, okay. Chris Kreider and Andrew Mangiapane both have 17 goals to tie for fifth in the league. Of course, the big difference between them and some of the players ahead of them are that they have four and three assists each, while the others are all in the uh, the double digits of assists. So in in terms of total points, Kreider and Mangiapane are having good seasons, but not like elite seasons, like your Matthews and your Dreisaitl, etc. But yeah, good for them, scoring a lot of goals, putting a lot of pucks behind the goalies. Anyway, of course, many of Matthews' goals have been assisted by Mitch. Marner, but unfortunately, Mitch Marner was put on the LTIR on Saturday and likely won't be back until the new year with his shoulder injury. So, taking a look at the new lines for the Leafs, Matthews has been centering recently a line with Michael Bunting and Brian, your longtime favorite, Andre Kasha. Over there on line one, he's also taken Marner's spot on the top power play and he assisted on Matthews' first period power play goal on Saturday along with Nylander. And that assist brought Kasha to seven points in his last seven games. So, Brian, do people need to drop everything right now and add Kasha if he's somehow still? available to them like to me he's looking like he's in one of the best spots in the league because he's able to feed the puck to austin matthews who like we just talked about scores goals every single game on both even strength and the power play how can you go wrong exactly so my answer is yes and before i exp- uh, to explain why it's a yes that you should go ahead and add andre kasha if he's available to you because he plays with austin matthews let's first at least talk a little bit about austin matthews who at five on five he actually looks pretty human like he's not doing anything over and above impressive at five on five this season but then you dig down and you see oh well like his on ice shooting percentage at five on five is below seven percent that's like probably at least 3% too low. His own shooting percentage is 10% at 5-on-5 versus his usual 15%. Matthews also has low points participation right now, but 
He's putting up his best shot rates and expected goal rates of his career. So this is just to say, watch out world. Austin Matthews has more to give at five on five than what we've been seeing so far. Of course, no one's really missing that five on five production because Matthews on the power play has been super human. 14 power play points in 26 games. Compare that to 13 power play points in 52 games last year. That's right. Austin Matthews is on a 44 power play point pace. He's amazing. Austin Matthews is awesome. This 100-plus point season looks like it's happening. He's pacing for 57 goals. Looks legit. Last year, I remember looking into Matthews' numbers when he's pacing for 65, and I'm like, I'm going to find something that tells me he's not. It's like, oh my gosh, no. If Matthews played an 82-game season last year, he had a pretty good shot of scoring 65 times. Elon, you talked last week about wanting to go see Ovechkin, you know, as the world's greatest goal scorer while you can before he retires, and you still should. But if you want to see the guy who's going to be the best goal scorer in the league for the next decade, go see Austin Matthews. And if you want to roster the guy who is going to be playing alongside the best goal scorer right now today, then go ahead and add Andre Kasha, who, by the way, his hits and blocks are good too right now, especially from a forward perspective. You mentioned, Elon, like I've had this thing for Andre Kasha over the course of his career, especially early on when he was taking a pile of shots and looked like a dangerous shooter, but then uh, a mix of injuries and also just not delivering means that Kasha has been stuck in bottom six roles for a long while now. But now that Kasha is playing up above 16 minutes a night again in a top line role with Austin Matthews, also taking three or four shots per game, the way he did before his career was derailed by head injuries, you know I'm into Andre Kasha. You want the guy playing with Austin Matthews. And it's a bonus that Kasha's on the top power play and takes shots himself too. He's not just playing with Austin Matthews. And that's kind of like the comparison to Michael bunting who's averaging two shots per game whereas kasha is getting three or four in recent outings so i would take kasha uh for sure i would add him out of free agency and if you have like the kasha bunting combo that's great enjoy them both um i i don't know that i'd drop bunting for kasha just because bunting seems the safer bet long term and marner is going to be back before too long but uh, yeah, I like if you're looking really short term, I think I like Kasha more because of the shot volume. Uh, but if you're looking medium or long term, I'd still prefer bunting. Right. Yeah. So in your like super deep leagues where this is a roster spot that you're filling for a long time. Yeah. The bunting is the one who's more likely, like you say, to stay on the top line. But definitely if you're in a shallower league where bunting is currently in free agency, leave him there and grab Kasha because he's the one who's definitely more exciting at the moment, at least in my opinion. Seems like you agree. Yeah. So that's a fun start to the show, uh, though. Uh, so when you go on Yahoo and you're looking at the top percentage rostered players you know you get a bunch of guys including obviously austin matthews you also see another player that's uh, on the opposite side right now in terms of the hot versus cold string that's patrick kane who went scoreless in that game versus toronto on saturday that was his third time in four games that patrick kane didn't get a point in that one game where he did get a point it was just an assist he only has five points in his last 11 games now brian i can't even recall a time since we've started doing the podcast that we had a patrick kane cold streak like this like five like 
over 10 games and him being only half point per game, usually he's close to a point per game. And if he's like cold, it would be like seven points in 10 games. So I'm very curious to know what's going on here. Coach Derek King has been mixing up the lines, you know, trying to get things going in Chicago. It really like, you can't even rely on the lines that you see because they're changing it all the time. Yesterday, it looks like Kane and Debrinkit were being centered by Kirby Doc to start the game. And then Dylan Strom took over at some point. Uh, Doc went to centering a line with Kubalik and Kurashev, by the way. And Kubalik uh, scored a goal to end a cold funk of his own. Uh, so, Brian, anyways, back to Patrick Kane, though. How concerned should people be about this guy at this point? He's down to 22 points in 23 games on the season. So that just goes to show that he started pretty strong. Though, even like a point per game for Patrick Kane, isn't that great, right? Like, he's been pacing near 100 over the past few years. Right now, he's down pacing below 80. What do you think is going to happen moving forward? Is this finally the time when the great Patrick Kane slows down a bit? Last year, Patrick Kane actually slowed down a little bit, too, in one way. He paced for just 22 goals last season, which would have been the lowest goal total for Patrick Kane since his rookie campaign, where he had 21 goals back in 2007-2008. And 22 goals also falls a fair deal below most of Patrick Kane's seasons since the lockout-shortened 2012-13 season. So, uh, you know, Patrick Kane deserved to have paced for... So few goals. Last season, he had the lowest expected goals rates of his career. His shot rates were down too. But we didn't really notice this was happening to Patrick Kane because he was piling up the assists on the power play. He had 19 power play assists to go along with three power play goals for 22 power play points in 56 games last season. It's not quite what Austin Matthews is doing this year, but it's also not that far off. It would have been uh, in line or uh, actually above what Patrick Kane's usual power play high watermark has been over the course of his career. So Patrick Kane, uh, just to summarize last year, trouble goal scoring, but covered it up with some amazing power play production. This year, Patrick Kane is also still pacing for a similar number in like the low 20 goals range. But unlike last year, under the hood, Patrick Kane has actually rebounded to look more like the way he did in recent 30 and 40 goal seasons. Like he has a low shooting percentage this season, 7% versus usual 12%. Um, he only has four goals on 54 shots at five on five. He should probably have a couple more than that. This year he's doing fine on the power play, but nothing special. So that's not covering up anything he's losing due to bad variance at five on five. But I will still say that not all is rosy with Patrick Kane just because things look good under the hood for him and it looks like bad variants. And there is one thing that's working against Patrick Kane this year and it was working against him last year too. And that said, I don't think Patrick Kane has found the right centerman the last couple years. Pugh Suter didn't work well as a centerman last year. Kirby Doc hasn't worked this year. You know, Dylan Strom was the last centerman that Patrick Kane really clicked with. And before that, Taves and Artem Anisimov were like safe havens for Patrick Kane most of the time. And I can I can tell you this because it bears out in Kane's on-ice numbers. His shot share and on-ice expected goals rates are down a good deal. Like they're down about half an expected goal per 60 minutes uh, than they were in the Taves and Anisimov days. And uh, he's in a really bad place right now at five on five, scoring really just two on ice expected goals per 60 minutes, which is like, that's weak. Uh, That's not what we'd expect for the on ice performance of a team with Patrick Kane being one of the players on the ice. Um, And that's similar to last season too. Patrick Kane's like the on ice production for Chicago with Patrick Kane on the ice has been really sad 
the last couple years uh, versus where it was when Patrick Kane was on lines with centermen that seemed to work better for him. So it's good to see the new coach, Derek King, trying new things, including uh, trying Patrick Kane back with Strom to see if that Kane Strom to Brinkett magic can be rekindled. But I am definitely, like you're asking me, how concerned are we that he's not uh, uh, pacing for 100 points? I'm a little worried that 33-year-old Patrick Kane can't get back up to that 100-point pace we've come to expect from him until he finds a, a an on-ice situation that works for him, which we just haven't seen. So this isn't to say I'm giving up on Patrick Kane being a 100-point player, but it's time, uh, I think I've said this a couple times this season about various other players, it's time to at least raise an eyebrow and reconsider or or be open to reconsidering what we can expect from Patrick Kane, who, yeah, has been a lock for 90 to 100 points for so many of the last recent seasons. And maybe now he's closer to that point per game range if his line can't figure stuff out. Right. Okay. So basically you're saying if you have Patrick Kane in your league, you want to play the first part of your answer to the people you're trying to trade with about how you're saying under the hood, he's getting a little bit of bad variance. We expect things to be a little bit better and not play that second part where you still have concerns that he might not be able to get back to the glory days. And yeah, maybe there's still a lot of people who are happy to believe that this is just a cold stretch and he's still a lock to get the 100 points. And so maybe now's a good time to flip him before it's too late. Though at the same time, you might just want to hold on unless you could get a really good return because at the end of the day, he's still Patrick Kane. And, you know, maybe something will work, including this uh, being centered by Dylan Strom, that we've seen this a few times, hasn't stuck. Uh, looking to next week, though, like Chicago actually has one of the best schedules. Uh, if you're playing in a weekly league, Chicago is the only team that plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Then they also play Saturday. So a lot of people are going to be looking at Chicago players to stream in. And, you know, there's really like no exciting options. Like to me, like Dylan Strom maybe jumps out if he's going to actually stay centering Kane and Dabrinkit. Though, I mean, aside from Kane, Dabrinkit, and, like, Seth Jones, and obviously Marc-Andre Fleury, I guess, like, there's not really any player on Chicago I could think of that are rostered in all but the deepest of leagues, or that should be. So, Brian, let's say you have an open spot, or let's say it's not an open spot, but you have, like, some player that's only playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and you've already checked your lineups, and they're going to be on your bench all three of those days. You know, I had Alex Ayafalo in Kakupful, uh, and I actually dropped him yesterday, not because I'm, like, super down on Ayafalo, but I just looked, and I was like, I'm not going to get any games from him until at least Sunday, so I figured I might as well drop him for a Chicago player where I'll get three games. And I added Dominic Kubalik because he was available in free agency. And he actually scored a goal yesterday for what it's worth. But like I said, that broke a long cold streak. Let's say you have all the Chicago players available aside from, again, Kane Debrinkit and Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury. Who would be your target to stream in? So we're looking at Jonathan Taves, potentially, Kubalik. Hagel had a run, like Strom, who I said is now centering a good line, but also gets healthy scratched every once in a while. Anyone jumping out at you as like the one to go after to try to get those extra games next week? Elon, uh, anybody on the Discord server, on our patrons-only Discord server, already knows this. But I held Jonathan Taves for 25 goalless games this season. 25 games of him doing essentially nothing for my cupful team. Like, way below replacement level. Just... It was a mix of being patient and having other injuries happen to my team where, like, I was out of moves to drop Taves and add someone else. But over 25 games, you'd think something would have happened. And I finally cut the cord earlier this week after one more goalless game where he didn't even take a shot. And Jonathan Taves has goals in consecutive games since then. Like, when you asked at the start of the, like, like the show, it's like, how do we play this game? Like, this is just random, like, random stuff happening with injuries. Well, this is random stuff happening with Jonathan. Like, I can't help but take this personally, that Jonathan Taves finally scored not just once, 
but twice in consecutive games. Uh, for the first time, he was on none of my lineups. I had him in a bunch of leagues this year, thinking that I was going to see good things, but I actually have seen really bad things. There was one moment where I saw like some kind of recovery from a really bad start from Jonathan Taves, but even since then, it's been pretty dire. Um, and I don't expect him to actually be good. He scored twice on three shots. If you're going to stream someone in, sure, yeah. Like, you could go Taves. You could go Strom if he's playing as Kane Centerman. I'd want Kane Centerman is probably, like, the answer I'd give you. Like, so check Game Day Lines uh, on Twitter at Game Day Lines or Game Day Line Tweets is the website. You can get the link from it from the Twitter account. But I would just look and see who's playing with Patrick Kane and or Alex Debrinkit. And take that guy, because that guy has the best chance at delivering. Kubalik, same story. Uh, super inconsistent, often worthless. And then, like you said, yeah, he might score a goal here and there. So you're, you're looking for lotto tickets here. I'm not convinced, Elon, even necessarily that, um, it's worth dropping someone who's not going to play a game for you this week for one of these Chicago guys. That's how down. I am on them because these Chicago guys in the cupful, uh, that's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patrons Fantasy League, kkupfl.com. If you like went for Kubalik or Taves and they got you an average of like one and a half fantasy points per game over the three games, that is unlikely to be the difference in your fantasy matchup. And that's like at least two points below replacement value uh, of the guy, whoever you dropped because they weren't going to get games for you. So that's where I'm at. Obviously like (laughs) this, this is personal for me. I'm really disappointed with all of what Chicago has offered. Sure. Anybody can pan out, but there's no reason to expect that one guy will over another. It's just, it's a total lottery. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I will just say that, uh, I, you know, the way I play is I'm going to try to maximize. There's no point holding someone that's not going to play. And, like, you know, 1.5 points per game. Even these, like, uh, Chicago players have struggled all year have had more than that in the couple. We're talking closer to, like, 2.5 points per game. So that's, like, already, like, you're approaching, like, 8, 9 points on the week if they play the four games. But, yeah, well, well obviously anything could happen. I'll just put it out in the universe that Kuba League, after having a bunch of games of one and two shots, has had three and four shots his last couple games. So he, he's my pick, just because he's the one I have. Uh, okay, let's go next to another cold streak over in Carolina where Andrei Svechnikov went pointless for the third straight game on Saturday in Carolina's 3-1 win over Edmonton. He only has one goal and no assist in his last six games, only two goals and no assist in his last nine games. Now Carolina is playing tonight. Uh, We're recording this. It's 8.23 p.m. now Eastern, and I see they're playing Vancouver at 10. So maybe by the time people listen to this tomorrow, Svechnikov will have had a huge breakout. So keep that in mind before you like listen too carefully to our analysis. But still, he's having trouble putting up points, and it kind of makes sense, especially Actually, it makes sense that he's having trouble picking up assists because he's been playing away from his polar opposite in hotness and Sebastian Ajo for a while now. Sebastian Ajo is on fire. He's getting multiple points every game, scoring a ton of goals. I picked him in the Timmy's gang uh, selections for tonight, and I did not pick Svechnikov. And look, like Saturday, Svechnikov's line was him, Vincent Trocek, and Jesper Fast, uh, which isn't amazing. Like Trocek, we've talked about his struggles, and Jesper Fast, you know, isn't the kind of guy you're going to get excited about having on your other wing. Uh, Svech has still been on the top power play, didn't get in. He was on the ice, I assume, but he 
he wasn't in on Aho's first period power play goal on Saturday. So Brian, like, you know, we just talked about Patrick Kane. Svechnikov, obviously, at a different stage of his career, but in a similar stage this season where he's someone people drafted super high. He had hot runs at one point, but now he's been running cold for a little bit. So, like, comparing him to Patrick Kane, how much should uh, Svechnikov managers panic? Like, it's obviously never a great feeling to see a player you picked in the top couple rounds of your draft struggling to produce for you. Uh, so if you have him, is this a situation where, you know, we're, like, going to have to, like, lower our expectations, like you said about Kane? Or is this just, like, great opportunity if you don't have him to try to get him? And if you do have him, don't worry about it. It's Andrei freaking Svechnikov. I, I would venture towards the latter, but that's only because Svechnikov's bar is lower than Patrick Kane's, right? So it's going to be easier to meet. Like Svechnikov's expectations on draft day, he can probably still live up to those. It's unfortunate because we've talked about how Svechnikov, if he was given like straight through top line, top power play deployment, he could be a 90 plus point player. But it's frustrating to see that Rod Brindamore line blender uh, make him a victim so often of these depth chart changes. It has been a real cold stretch for Sveshnikov lately, though. Seven goals in his first seven games to start the year had us all super excited, being like, yeah, huge breakout coming. Then only two goals for Sveshnikov in his last 18 games. That's rough. The the silver lining is that Svechnikov has 51 shots over those 18 games. So that's a a nice number of shots, almost three per game. And it means Svechnikov is shooting just 4%. We know he's at least a 10% shooter. So the goals will return in time, especially since he's putting up career-high five-on-five expected goal rates. Um, His deployment is just really the cause for concern, though, as I said. And I I think it holds him to a 70-point range if he can't lock on to that top line or even like a surefire second line. Um, I find it strange that he's lacking all these assists though. Like, you know, as you mentioned, like his goal scoring isn't there, but his assists also aren't there. He's good on ice numbers. Um, Though only eight goals have been scored while Svechnikov is on the ice over his last nine games. And prior to that, he was averaging, uh, he was on the ice for an average of one and a half or two goals per game. So this is all to say Svechnikov still looks good. When he's on the ice, Carolina still looks good. I think this is more just a victim of variance and also less than ideal deployment. So I would say Svechnikov, like you asked my concern level, it's probably similar to Patrick Kane, but I have a little more faith in Svechnikov and what I'm seeing there. But again, that might just be because it's easier for Svechnikov to hit 70 still than it is for Patrick Kane to hit 100. Um, and both these guys, Kane and Svechnikov, it doesn't look like it's entirely up to them. They're amazing players who can do what... Like, they can do good things on their own, but clearly to be elite, they're still going to need some line mates and idealized time. Yeah, when Svechnikov was with Aho, like, everything was glorious, and now it's not as great playing with Chocek. And yeah, at this point, you know, a 70-point pace would probably be just fine for the people who have him, at least in the short term, a lot better than only two goals in his last nine games. So hopefully he wakes up soon. Uh, one player who is the one benefiting and playing with Sebastian Aho, so maybe to Svechnikov's detriment, is Nino Niederreiter, who you said last week, we already said to grab him, but I just want to reiterate that Nino Niederreiter is super hot. He's playing with Aho and Tara Vinen, and it's been a really good run for him. His goal yesterday on Saturday brought him to nine points in his previous eight games. At this point, Brian, let's say Nino's available. And let's say a guy we talked about at the start, Andre Kasha. Both of those guys are available, both playing with these elite players. Who would you rather have for, you know, not long term, like a short term, two weeks, like until Christmas? Who do you want, Nino or Kasha? 
That's a really, really good question. I think, well, so what's, what is the latest on Marner? We should be clear. What's the latest on Marner? So he just was put on LTIR, which means I think he's like done for the month. And then like he could come back like in January. I think that's the idea. Okay. I read that, but I didn't, like usually when they put someone, yeah, okay. So let's say while Marner is out, who who would you rather have between Kasha and Nino? Okay. As long as Marner is out. I will take Kasha. He seems settled in there. Of course, the, the biggest risk to Kasha is that he gets injured again, which always happens. Uh, unfortunately, like, you know, when you have one head injury, it's easier to get another and then another and another. And that's what's happened to Andre Kasha. So I would prefer him, assuming he stays healthy. Uh, Nino is probably the better medium to long-term hold because I, I, I think he could probably stay up on the top line longer than Kasha. But short-term, Elon, that was the question. I will go Kasha. Okay, yeah, I think it could definitely go either way. Maybe just for fun, I'll lean Nino. I don't think it's worth making a bet over because it sounds like you're pretty 50-50 yourself. But uh, yeah, Kasha, he's great. Uh, I guess Nino, like we've saw a really good run from him last year. So I guess I'll go with like the, uh, in my head, like the somewhat safer guy. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, why not both, right? If you're listening to this and both are available in free agency, you definitely want to take a look at your team because both of them are in really great spots. Uh, that's basically a lot of the game of fantasy hockey, right? Like obviously you want to get your elite players when you can. You want to hopefully not get the bad luck of injuries, not get the bad luck of having drafted Patrick Kane in the first round and have him go on a cold streak because there's nothing you could really do about that. But uh, I think the real... You know, thing, and that's what we talk about on the show, right? We're trying to help point out the players. If they're on a good line and they're producing, that's someone you probably want to get on your team. All right, Brian, let's switch to goalies for a bit now. And we'll do some cold streaks to start and then some hot streaks. Uh, but one goalie that is super high rostered on Yahoo, still 99% rostered, but I wonder if it's going to start falling soon, is Robin Leonard. Because he just hasn't been playing well lately. And okay, uh, again, just like with Carolina, Vegas is going to play today. I don't even think they've announced the goalie and they're starting in like 30 minutes. It's going to be Vegas against Minnesota, which again, you know, could be a rough game for Leonard because he'll be going against uh, Kirill Kaprizov, who's been amazing. They just announced Robin Leonard. It's confirmed. All right, so maybe like by the end of the show, we'll be able to give an update on how he's doing. But yeah, before today, uh, his last game was on Wednesday versus Dallas, where he led in three goals on 10 shots before he got pulled for Brossois. Uh, before that, Leonard had a good game on Sunday versus Calgary. But before that, he got dinged for five goals against versus Anaheim. And that's kind of been Leonard's pattern lately. Like he kind of alternates between good and bad starts, which is not what you want from a goalie that you picked as maybe like a top five goalie in your draft. You want to get a little bit more consistency there. Altogether, uh, Leonard's numbers going into today are like a 906 save percentage in his 20 games, which if that sticks for the whole year, that'll be his worst save percentage since way back in 2014-15 when he put up a 905 save percentage with the Sens in his last season in Ottawa. So Brian, we posited going into the season that this would be like a unique challenge for Leonard because for so long now, he's been in a tandem. He's been putting up these great numbers. But remember, he was with Varlamov on the Islanders and he was with Crawford in Chicago. Then he was with Fleury in Vegas. And so yeah, when he was coming in 50% of the games, he was putting up great numbers. But now, you know, it's a whole different animal to actually have to play game in game out keep yourself in the right mental and physical condition to be able to do that so far it's kind of looking like again he's not like a train wreck but it's not looking like he's like up to the task of being an elite volume goalie he was like an elite you know 50 percent goalie so brian are we at a point now where we're just gonna have to downgrade leonard and just not consider him a high-end starter like he's on a good team he plays a decent amount unless you're gonna say you're so worried that you're that brosso is gonna start eating into more starts but like obviously you're gonna want to have a goalie that's like on a good team but at the same time I don't know. He just, to me, like, does not have that same appeal that he had going into the year. And you just need to now tell me if that's just, like, a matter of me being too biased by a small sample size or if you're agreeing with me that things just aren't looking as great as we thought they could be. 
I think things aren't looking as great as we thought they could be for two reasons. And the first is on the team level. Like you said, Robin Lehner playing for a great team should be working out better. But remember last week when we were talking about the surprising teams we were seeing ranked at the bottom of the NHL in five on five defense based on like the danger level of chances they're giving up on a nightly basis? Well, Vegas is right there. They rank 31st overall in expected goals against per 60 minutes. Only Philadelphia is allowing more expected goals against per 60 minutes at five on five than Vegas. And that shows up in Robin Lander's numbers. He is posting his lowest five on five expected save percentage of his career translation. That means Lander is facing the heaviest workload he's ever had. And this is a guy who played for Chicago a couple years ago, whose whole strategy was to hang Robin Lander or Corey Crawford out to dry, and they'll bail us out. That was the whole thing. And I think in Vegas, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much of this is a systems change and how much of it is the impact of having lost Mark Stone and Alec Martinez and Max Pacioretty for such big stretches of the year. Um, and good for Robin Lehner. His expected save percentage is low, but he's still out for outperforming it at five on five and on the penalty kill. So good for Robin Lehner playing better than an average NHL goalie would given the same uh, workload difficulty. So to me, Robin Lehner still looks like a good starter, but he's on a team that's making him one of the most vulnerable goalies in the league, even more vulnerable, ironically enough, than Marc-Andre Fleury, who is now over in Chicago. But here's the thing that I didn't expect to find looking into Robin Lehner. Uh, amongst starters with similar value, he's just not, like he's outperforming his expected save percentage of five on five, but Lehner is not uh, anywhere near setting the world on fire. He's holding his own. He's like a top 20 goalie, but we've thought of him, or I should say maybe I've thought of Robin Lehner as being better than that, better than a top 20 goalie. I've, I, I made the case a couple of years ago that I thought Robin Lehner had a chance to be the best goalie in the NHL. And so this is really disappointing that he's just kind of like, yeah, playing a little better than average at five on five and his quality start percentage is 45%. So Robin Lehner very much falling into, you know, decent territory, which is maybe um, what he just is now that we have a few years of numbers to look at, you know, getting out of Buffalo and working on his overall physical and importantly, mental health. It looked like Laner was finding a new gear. And I, I think he did, but it's just not as high a gear as I was hoping based on the early returns from his time with Long Island and then Chicago. So I'm downgrading what I think about Robin Laner's uh, upside to being like, he's a good goalie. He's on a good team. He should be fine, but he's not amongst the league's elite. And certainly not, uh, I don't think in the, you know, he was, I think, one of the first goalies drafted in so many fantasy leagues. And I don't think he quite deserved to be based on who he's. I mean, obviously, that's easy to say, right? Based on his performance this year, he hasn't earned that uh, that right or privilege to have been drafted. So early, he's not playing up to his draft potential. But I, I don't think that's an aberration. I think we just overrated him going into yeah. the season. I think a lot of people expected, okay, Fleury's gone. It's Leonard's time. Like, let's rank him super high. And a lot of leagues, I think it was Vasilevsky, then Hellebuck, and then Leonard. And I think if we were to, you know, redraft right now, maybe he'd go 10th, 
or 12th or 15th. I'm not sure exactly. Actually, uh, so with all that in mind, we actually got a really good question on Twitter from at AdamLewis91, who asked us, I'm not sure exactly what his situation is, but he asked us to compare Leonard and Thatcher Demko and say who we'd rather have. Uh, And, you know, Thatcher Demko is kind of like the opposite of Leonard in a lot of ways. Like, so Demko started the season, like, pretty rough, like, like a lot of the Canucks, right? The Canucks were, like, terrible. But now he's gotten on a roll. He's had three fantastic starts over this past week, stopping uh, 34 of 37 in the win over Winnipeg on Friday. He stopped 35 of 36 in the win over Boston on Wednesday. Uh, He stopped all the shots on Monday in the shutout over the Kings. Like I said, Vancouver's playing Carolina later today, so we'll see how he does against Ajo and Nino and Sveshnikov and company. Uh, So in case you didn't catch it, that's three wins in a row for Demko and three wins in a row for the Canucks ever since Bruce Boudreaux has taken over as the coach. And if you recall, going into the season, I was like high on Demko. I think higher than you just in terms of like, I was like, I really like the thing that I liked about Demko. And that was what I said. I don't even know if this is like based on actual data or anything, but he just seemed to me like the type of goalie that's capable and going on like these long runs of success. Like maybe overall in the season, he won't be like sparkling and reliable, but like when he gets hot, it just seems like he can go and just put up like great game after great game, like high volume. Last year he did it for a run. Obviously there was that playoff run for Vancouver where he did it. And it's looking to me like maybe he's getting into one of those runs right now. So I don't know. I answered uh, Adam's question and said, I take Demko over Leonard. I'm curious to know, Brian, what do you think about this advice? Like, uh, I feel like on one hand, yeah, Vegas is a better team. But on the other hand, Demko seems to be a better goalie from what we've seen so far. Plus, I'm also just starting to get excited about maybe under a new coach, maybe Vancouver's not as bad. It's only been three games, but maybe they're not as bad as they were looking, you know, a couple months ago. I think where we disagreed on Demko coming into the season was not whether he was going to be good. It was just how good a team he was on and how well he'd be able to do on that team, especially around wins. Like, I I think I was more with you than you realize on Demko having good rate stats. Although, like you said, you weren't sure if there was enough data to back it up and you were going on a hunch that, yeah, Demko's the real deal. And I was saying the same thing. Like, we still don't know who Thatcher Demko is, but holy cow, is Thatcher Demko looked amazing this season. He's been a top 10 goalie in the league, bordering on top five goalie, if you're going by uh, the extent to which Demko is outplaying his expected save percentage at five on five, which is what I go by when I'm trying to rank goalie performances. I'm definitely with you, Elon, in suggesting Demko over Laner. Um, you know, I, I just, going back, I, I I didn't think Demko, no matter how well he played in Vancouver, could play well enough to steal enough wins in leagues where wins made up a big part of your goalie value. Uh, in leagues with just rates and volume, Demko continues to be a great play if you don't need those wins. And hey, with Bruce Boudreaux, like you're saying, Elam, maybe there's a better chance of Demko picking up some wins and getting some overall support. Um, this isn't a hard one for me, especially now that I've downgraded Liner. Demko's got a 9.15 save percentage on the season. The one thing about him, and maybe this will stabilize now that there's a new coach because like in Vancouver, like Vancouver, we've talked about, I'm not going to rub it in. It's been a disaster all season long. So Demko, even with a 915 save percentage, just 52% quality starts. So that's what I'd like to change for Demko going forward. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's all there really is to say about it. I, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm changing my take on Demko here as much as I'm changing my take on Laner. But in case it wasn't clear before, yes, I think Thatcher Demko is good. 
All right. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to do another Schmore. Maybe we got to do another mid-season Schmore goalies board. Maybe we could it, Will Nadeau, if you're listening, uh, hit us up. We should maybe do a show where we re-rank the goalies because, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes from what we thought going into the year, unfortunately for Leonard, fortunately for Demko. Uh, Brian, so I still have a few more goalies I want to get to, then a bunch of other content. And we're going to get to all of that in just a sec. Uh, but first, let's thank a sponsor for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson. And just like last week, we're once again proudly being sponsored by our friends over at TickPick. Uh, so the hockey season is well underway and it's a good time to start going to see some games it's like cold out you know you don't want to go hang out in a park you want to go to the rink and watch a game uh like assuming you know you're following proper covid protocols and all of that stuff but uh if you want to go to see a game you should use our friends at TickPick because TickPick is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all tickets for NHL Today, also concerts, NFL, and, you know, if you want a ticket to something, you're going to find it over at TickPick. Okay, so Brian, you said when we were talking about Matthews, how, like, I said last week that I'd be into seeing an OV game. You said, well, you should also see a Matthews game. Like, it's funny because you said, like, Matthews is the best goal scorer in the league, and now I'm thinking, like, I had said that there's, he's actually, like, tied for third in goals, right? Like, maybe Dreisaitl, you could say, is the best goal score in the league so you could get two for one go see a mcdavid and dry there's like so many teams that i'm just really excited to see and you know maybe it's me in my advanced age i'm starting to wonder if like i need to go see these players live before it's too late and like my back will hurt too much and i won't be able to say that i got to see dre and mcdavid and ovi and matthews so yeah if you want to go see a game why not go to TickPick because they've gotten rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge uh they also guarantee the best prices like they're so confident in their prices that they say if you could find a better price for a hockey game on another site they're going to match that price and give you 110% of the difference in that purchase price that's how confident they are so check it out tickpick.com t-i-c-k-p-i-c-k.com slash carlson and find yourself tickets to go watch a fun hockey game or concert or whatever so thanks tickpick we're going to cut over to one other ad break and then we're going to be back at you for an ad free rest of the show you're listening to keeping carlson all right, we are back. Brian, like I said, I want to get to some more goalie news here. Let's just knock out all the goalie talk right here, and then we'll get to some defensemen and then forwards to close out the show. Uh, so, unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about injuries. Yesterday, John Gibson went down with a lower body injury in the one nothing loss to the Penguins. Uh, the Ducks are playing again today. Obviously, Gibson isn't there. We don't yet know how long it'll be. Gibson is the type of goalie that sometimes goes day-to-day, from my memory, and then stay like that for like a month without really any update on when he'll be back. So hopefully that's not the case and he'll be back soon. But in the meantime, Anthony Stolarz has actually been having a low-key, fantastic season. He had no goals against on the 13 shots he faced in relief for Gibson on Saturday. That was his third appearance out of his last four where he didn't let in a goal, as previously he shut out the Sabres and the Senators. And of course, that one other appearance in there that wasn't a shutout was not that great, like a five goals against outing versus Vegas. But hey, that was on 39 shots, and he got the win. So overall, Stolar sits at a 931 save percentage in the eight games he's appeared in, and he may need to take on a heavy work workload in the short term if Gibson misses some time. So, Brian, like, how quickly should people be rushing to add Stoli the goalie if he's still available and they need a goalie? If you're looking for a goalie, you could definitely take a good, long, hard look at Stoli. Anthony Stolarz, we haven't seen a lot of him. 42 games over five years and, like, no more than a small handful in any given year. But uh, Anthony Stolarz, with this small career workload he's he's gonna turn 28 in january 
uh, just 42 games under his belt, but has a 917 career save percentage. He seems like a guy who has a shot to, uh, to carry some kind of meaningful workload. Like, I'm curious to see what he can get up to. I haven't ruled out the possibility. And like, I wish it's, it, imagine being Anthony Solars and waiting all this time to play 42 games. It's like, I'm, you're not getting any younger. And uh, maybe this is a time for Anthony Solis to show us who he is. And I, I hope he's good. He's never seen a lot of action. But Solis has almost always outplayed his expected save percentages at 5-on-5, five five, which in my mind makes him worth a shot for sure. Keep in mind, Anaheim is a bottom 10 team in team defense at 5-on-5. Five five. You know, they're, they're a team that's made for, like, for having a goalie like John Gibson. It's like, okay, we're going to play a little fast and loose defensively because we have John Gibson back there, who thankfully this year, is on his game for the first time in a couple years and he can bail us out. So we'll see if Stolars can keep up or if Anaheim changes anything with him in net. But Anaheim is a good enough team to be interested in their starter and Stolars is a uh, interesting enough guy to give a shot as your goalie. Okay, yeah, I mean, times are tough sometimes. It's hard to find a goalie out there in free agency, and you might have a starter here in Stoli, who, by the way, it's uh, two periods down in a game against St. Louis, and he's let in only one goal on 17 shots, so, or on 18 shots. It's 1-1. Uh, and, by the way, Anaheim, the goal scored by them was Buddy Robinson, assisted by Sam Carrick and Nicholas Delorier. So definitely a schmoll That's there. A schmoll. <laughs> and like you know that kind of leads into what we've got to do right now which is a post-mortem on this five game week for Anaheim like last week we were talking about how and you know on stream scheme with Dave Bed and he was talking about like this is the week where you grab all your ducks right because they're going to play so much and anyone who rushed out to get their ducks probably weren't like too happy with the results like the top line I'm going to call it the top line of Zgrass or sorry Ben has corrected us as Zgris that's, uh, so I want to make sure to get that right. So Trevor Zegras, Milano, Raquel, they were all good, right? They all put either two or three points in the four games so far. We'll see if they get anything today. Not amazing, but not bad. But pretty much everyone else was a bust. Like, uh, nice to see that Ryan Getzlaff returned on Saturday to play with Troy Terry and Sam Steele. But of course, they were all shut out. The whole team was shut out. Uh, so far today, no points for that line or any of the lines, aside from the... What was it? Buddy Robinson line. Uh, so now things get interesting, right? Because the Ducks go from having a five-game week to next week only playing two games on Wednesday and Friday. I wonder how quickly the percent rostered will like crater for anyone not on that line of Zegers, Milano, and Raquel. Like, I guess I'd hold Troy Terry and Ryan Getzlaff at least till Friday, right? See if they can reclaim that magic. I'm starting to get a little wary even about holding them depending on how deep the league is. But fine, get there. You know, when you see like a two-game week, then you think, oh, not even worth having them. But if it's two games before the weekend, like a lot of players are only playing two games before the weekend and they're actually on off days. So maybe you could hold your duck through Wednesday, Friday. But if they still continue to be cold, maybe it's time to consider dropping for someone else that could help you on the weekend. And like aside from Terry and Getzoff, like there's like no one that I'd want. You know, people were grabbing your your Silferbergs and your Sam Steels and I don't know, Lundestrom's, who I think did score a goal for what it's worth. Like, I got Shattenkirk in the couple, and he's starting to look like someone I might drop. Like, I added Mark Giordano out of free agency. I don't know if people care about, like, these little nuances of how I'm managing my team. But, like, I grabbed Giordano out of free agency recently. I'm starting to think he's probably better than Shattenkirk. He might have just, like, you know, leapfrogged him in the depth chart. Not that Giordano's been amazing, but he got a point yesterday. He's taken some shots. He blocks. Shattenkirk's really uh, gone quiet, which I don't love. But, of course, I'm not too upset about now because I've already <laughs> kind of replaced him. Uh, so maybe after Friday... He's a drop surprise. What do you think? Like, outside of this top line, are we ready to kind of tell people that this the fun party in Anaheim is over? Or would that be, like, a huge mistake and Anaheim might just go back to being this, like, super high-shooting, high-scoring, like, exciting team that they were for the first start part of the season? 
before you give up on the party in Anaheim, because they're only playing twice, I'll just repeat what you said, Elon, which is that the Ducks only play twice, but they're both on off days. So you're likely to get more games played out of a Duck than out of somebody else uh, near the bottom of your roster who's playing uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So uh, it's not uh, it's not as bad as it looks if you own an Anaheim Duck, though I do agree with your general statement, Elon, that guys in like Silverberg and Steele and Shattenkirk and Fowler, like in that tier, they're tough holds right now. But you're also making it sound, I feel like, that – there aren't like there's a lot of rosterable guys in Anaheim. You're just saying like beyond uh, five players in their top six, out of their top six. Like there's not a whole lot of depth production, <laughs> which is which is going to be true about most teams. It is disappointing though because we thought maybe Silverberg would give us something, maybe Steele would give us something. Shattenkirk and Fowler. Also, Jamie Drysdale didn't even really get up to anything this week. And I'm looking at how the Ducks fared this week. They started the week with a three goal game, then scored two goals and two goals, and then got shut out. So I'm also wondering if they they ran out of steam at some point five games that's a busy week so uh, don't give up entirely on them and you know obviously i would keep if i had silverberg on my team and another guy who wasn't going to play it all for me next week i might still take the two games out of silverberg but it's probably comparable to the chicago players we talked about earlier in the show Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess at some point we have to start getting concerned about Troy Terry, but Getzlaff just returned. So let's see if they can get their magic together. Maybe in a couple of weeks we can bring them up and finally decide uh, what we're going to do with these guys. Uh, and yeah, it's a good point though, Brian, like a five game week, like seems so appealing when you look at the games you're going to get, but these are humans, they might get tired. And so you're not the fifth game of the week may not be as valuable as like, the second game from another team. So I guess you have to keep that in mind. Uh, okay, so we're on goalies here. Uh, the Gibson goalie injury was discussed, but we do have some goalie outjuries. We actually have three interesting goalie outjuries to me, either recent or on the horizon. And I think all three of these guys we need to dig into if they have a chance to steal their starting jobs or at least get a lot of games. We're talking about Petr Mrazek, Chris Drieger, and Pavel Francouz. So starting with Mrazek, he was the goalie for the Leafs yesterday. Uh, he led in four goals on 35 shots in the win over Chicago. My brother and I were talking about Mrazek. Joel, hell, hey buddy. Uh, so he was saying that he thinks that Sheldon Keefe is not going to want to burn out Jack Campbell. So like even if Campbell's better, maybe Mrazek still gets a decent number of games just you know to keep Campbell fresh. And the Leafs clearly they showed yesterday, right? They're good enough that even if Mrazek doesn't have an amazing game, you know, they can still win regardless because they score. They have Austin Matthews, right? So uh, Mrazek is out there as someone that we need to consider adding. Uh, then we have Chris Drieger, who's been taken off the IR for Seattle. He hasn't played a game yet. But, you know, you look at Philip Grubauer. He had those couple good games near the end of November where we were saying, oh, maybe now, like, Grubauer, after a slow start to the year, maybe finally he's, like, on track. But no, he's been bad again lately. He's letting three-plus goals in each of his last six starts. So that's opened up the door for Drieger to potentially claim the job. Of course, he has to play well. He has to be up to the task. But I think that if Drieger plays well in his next game, why wouldn't Seattle play him again for the following game, considering that Grubauer's been bad? So I think that might be a fun player to take a swing on, though. People who have done that, you know, the last time Drieger played, you know, didn't go so well. Or maybe it was like a couple games ago. But like, you know, he might also just be bad. Uh, Then you go to Pavel Francouz, who's been on a conditioning stint in the AHL uh, for Colorado's minor league team. And he's put up three straight wins and a 945 save percentage in those games. He's now been called up. Colorado is playing today and uh, Francois is backing up Darcy Kemper and Darcy Kemper has been kind of having a Robin Leonard-ish season, right? Like he hasn't been terrible, but he's not 
up to the level that a lot of people were hoping from him when they drafted him. So you've got to imagine that if Francois can play well, then he could at least eat in and get close to a 50-50. So Brian, of these three goalies that I just brought up, Morozik, Driedger, and Kemper, which of these three do you think has the best chance of getting like the most starts moving forward? And I guess also combined with like being useful to you, or maybe putting it in an easier way, how would you rank them in terms of who you'd want to have on your fantasy team? Yeah, so let's take a, a quick tour of what each guy might offer, starting with Petr Morazek, who I think puts a dent in Jack Campbell's workload, albeit not a huge one, I would assume. Campbell started 14 of the last 19 Leafs games leading up to Morazek's return on Saturday night. And that means he's been starting Jack Campbell about three of every four games. I could see that becoming two of every three games, even if Peter Morazic does struggle out of the gate. It, it To me, uh, what I've seen in Toronto, I feel like they like to have both their goalies going and can afford to allow their goalies to play and have bad nights here and there because the offense can make up for it more often than not. Um, so I, I think that Morazic isn't interesting outside of a streamer, but I do think that this is more a flag. Morazic's return is more a flag for Campbell managers because in volume leagues, I think this makes Jack Campbell a guy you can't lean on the same way you've been able to for the last six weeks or so. So take a peek at your lineup and see how you might be able to reclaim some of that lost value um, that you're not going to see quite as much action from Jack Campbell. Maybe you can't keep waiting, for example, on that skater you believe in to finally produce and you need to um, like make better use or maximize the rest of your roster because Jack Campbell can't carry the same load he's been carrying for you for the last little while. So there's one takeaway from Morazic's return, and it's not about Morazic's fantasy value. It's about Campbell's being lower. Of course, there's a chance Morazic could work his way into like towards a timeshare, and Jack Campbell isn't the most durable goalie either. But beyond a speculative ad, I don't see any immediate uh, like substantial value from Petr Morazic. Yeah, though, I guess, Brian, on the other hand, you could say, like, you're saying it's possible Morazic, uh, you know, comes in and ends up becoming a tandem guy or whatever. Like, sure, that's possible. But on the other side, like, it's also possible that Morazic, like, just isn't good. And then the Leafs just have to continue playing Campbell like they have been with whoever their backup's been. Wall, Wall, I think, Joseph Wall, or I think Hutchinson got in there like he always does every once in a yeah. while. But, like, I, I don't, I personally don't have that much faith in Morazic. I do agree with you that probably Campbell will play a little bit less because that's why they signed Morazic in the first place. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't know, like, Campbell's just been really good and Morazic still hasn't impressed me. But yeah, I, I agree with your take. I just wanted to say that it's yeah, possible. And you say it's possible Morazic isn't that good, but Toronto signing him to a three-year, $4 million contract says that I think they think otherwise. Yeah. Right? So they might keep putting him in, even if he struggles, to show that he can do the thing. It's, of course, sure. possible yeah, yeah. that he can't. Um, speaking of someone being paid and not doing the thing, Philip Grubauer over in Seattle is exactly that. So Driedger's off injured reserve now, and we saw Driedger fail to take advantage of an open door before he got injured. And um, it's the same story now as it was then, right? The Kraken are probably pretty invested in making Grubauer work. Um, Just a bad situation for both goalies, though, in Seattle. Like, I really am surprised that we're almost at the 30-game mark, and neither Grubauer nor Driedger, despite playing for a good defensive team, has been able to earn any kind of faith from me or really anybody that they're going to put in serviceable performances on a regular basis. The only thing is that if Driedger can put one or two or three good starts together, that could be a real boon for his fantasy value. But that's a huge if based on what we've seen from Driedger so far this year. I guess the the other takeaway is that Grubauer is leaving the door open 
right? There's nobody else to start for him over these last uh, few games when Dreeker's been out. And Grubauer has been given every chance to take the job and run and hasn't. And then looking at Franco's, uh, the bottom line on him is we still don't know who this guy is, really, right? But the door seems open for Franco's too, the way that Kemper has played. Uh, like, and Kemper's looking back to his Minnesota Wild self, unfortunately, amongst high-volume goalies. Kemper ranks ahead of only Philip Grubauer, in, expe- in Delta Fenwick save percentage, which means he is underplaying his expected save percentage by more than any other goalie in the league, aside from Philip Grubauer. So Kemper putting up these really poor numbers at five on five, which means there's an opportunity for Francois. And Kemper, by the way, also looked bad last year at five on five. And so did Grubauer to a lesser extent. Uh, so let's see. Uh, I mean, Francois. Like I said, I keep saying this door is open for him because Kemper only has a 47% quality start percentage too. There's lots of reasons to think that Franco's, if he can do something, like the same way you said about Dreedger, if he can step in and perform, why wouldn't the team roll with him except for the fact that they're more invested in the guy and the incumbent goalie who is struggling? So I think we'll just have to wait and see because uh, Francis has never looked awesome himself in his own uh, expected save percentage numbers. So with that little rundown, I think I would rank these goalies. I think I'd put Dreedger out in front and then Francis and then Mrazek. I, I could I could be convinced to put Francis in front of Dreedger. I just think if I'm looking at which guy between those two is the better goalie, I think they both have good opportunities to take a job. I have a, I, I just lean a little bit more to Dreedger actually being the one who's able to take advantage of the opportunity he has more than Franco's. But it really is a coin flip between them with Morazic running third. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It's really hard to pick between them. It's just they both have an opportunity. Now we have to see what they do. Don't forget also, like, yeah, Kemper hasn't been amazing, but like, it's not as if he's like lost Colorado games. Like, they're still doing just fine. So, like, there's no reason for them not to keep playing him if he's just doing fine, as opposed to Grubauer, who's been like, pretty bad right so it's like they need a goalie to come in and take over for him if they can so i guess we'll have to see what happens there by the way one goalie who unfortunately won't be coming back is ben bishop who had like this is so sad right he like has had this knee injury forever he's been rehabbing and he's been at all the practices he finally went to the ahl like i think ben and lewis talked about it on tuesday how like bishop was going to go to the minors we were talking about how this is going to be a conditioning stint and then discussing what's going to be the implication for dallas he went down he had one bad game I guess he didn't feel good in his knee and he decided to call it quits. That's it. It's like career's over. So, you know, great career, Ben Bishop, sad ending, but obviously let's remember the good times for Bishop. Uh, that obviously makes the situation in Dallas a little bit more straightforward, right? I'd imagine things will just continue to go how they have been now, right? They've basically been going with Holtby and Ettinger, and then Hudobin basically never plays. So I think this is probably good news for Ettinger, who likely gets to keep his job on the team. I'm not sure why they would send him down now if they've kept him up all this time. Though, like, that job that Ettinger has may just be a backup to Braden Holtby, right? Because Holtby's been really good lately. He's been getting the majority of the starts for the Stars. So, Brian, we just ranked uh, Driedger, then Francois, and then Morazic. Where would Ettinger fit in that? That ranking right now like if people have Ettinger should they be thinking of just dropping him for one of those other three I guess Dreedger since you have him at the top of your list first off shout out to Ben Bishop like what a bummer for him to like try and try and try remember preseason it's like Ben's gonna give it a go he's gonna play he wasn't ready yet and now we just see uh, exactly what was all going on behind the scenes which was Ben Bishop was just like trying to take his last chance even though he was 
uh, maybe he knew he was never going to be fully comfortable and seeing if he could hack it. So a great career for Ben Bishop. Sad way for it to end because I think he had a few more good years in him. He's been one of the best goalies in the NHL over the last few seasons. So a real bummer of an end of a career for Ben Bishop. Um, but kudos to him for what he did put together. Now we flip to the Dallas Stars who have three goalies instead of four, which is still too many. You know, the funny part is about this Edinger thing. Remember last week on the show when you mentioned how Rick Bonus had said Holtby's going to get two and Edinger's going to get two. And we're like, at least we know that. We don't know which games, but at least we know that. And then uh, Holtby started three and Edinger started one, even though Edinger played so good. In his one start. Come on. What are we supposed to do with this information? It's hard enough to figure out what's going on in Dallas without the coach changing plans midweek, which we also said could very well happen. Anyway, my gut says that if Dallas sees Holt be holding the fort, they send Edinger back down to the AHL where he can stay sharp, see action, get Hudobin out of the press box. Um, you know, I think Edinger has the advantage of Holtby compared to the other guys of Holtby potentially falling into the form we've seen from him most often in recent years, which is bad. And I think Edinger is actually the best goalie between Dreed Curve Rensos and Morazic. Um, I think I'd have him between Morazic and the other two, Dreedger and Frantzos, who I didn't really want to separate in the order I gave them. You know, Dallas right now is in this in-between state of whether to go for it again with the core they have or blow it up. And I imagine what they see in the next 10 games may impact their direction and also how they use Ettinger. Um, right now, I'm not optimistic that he's going to see a ton of time in the near future. So I see him just as a stream for now. But if you're in a league where goaltending is scarce and you can afford a roster spot on a speculative guy, I'd be interested to see what Ettinger's workload is like over the next couple weeks. Because out of Driedger, Frenzos, and Mrazek, I think, I think Ettinger definitely has the greatest upside. I just don't think he has a much greater chance of realizing it than any of those other three. Yeah, the thing is that... Driedger and Francois are behind goalies that have been struggling. Braden Holpe has been really good. Like, I think I do read the situation a little differently than you. I don't see why now they're going to change. Like, they've had Hudobin in the press box, and they seem to be fine with it, and Dallas is doing well. So why not just keep that as a situation, keep Ettinger as the backup? That's my impression of what's going to happen. But either way, I don't disagree with you that as a backup to Braden Holpe, who's doing well, and maybe it's just a situation where the Dallas goalie generally does well because of the system regardless, it's just like, I'm not that interested in Ettinger because I think Holby is the starter at this point. But of course, uh, anything can change with goalies, right? A couple bad starts from one guy and all of a sudden everything gets flipped on its head. Okay, two more goalies, Brian, and then we'll go to the other positions. But I wanted to bring up two starters, or at least for now, starters on teams that we didn't expect them to be able to succeed. But this past week has been pretty good for Uka Pekalukunen on Buffalo and Anton Forsberg on the Sens. So first in Buffalo, UPL has had a great start to his season. He led in only two goals in each of the three games he played for the Sabres this week. Unfortunately, he lost all three games, but hey, that's not on him. He's letting in only two goals. That's good. He stopped 40 of 42 in the shootout loss to Washington on the second half of a back-to-back on Saturday. That's super impressive. He played two games in a row, and even Ovi couldn't score on him. And I see that Ovi had a ton of, like, shot attempts, and yeah, just couldn't get anything past Uka Pekka Lukanen. Then on the Sens side, while many were expecting Philip Gustafsson to be the beneficiary of Matt Murray being sent down, and by the way, side note, Matt Murray's injured again. Like, this guy, I could see 
see him being like a Ben Bishop and just never playing the NHL again. That's just a hunch I have. But regardless, we're not talking about Matt Murray. Uh, we thought it was going to be Gustafsson that's going to take over, but no, it's been Anton Forsberg who seems to be running away with the starters job. He's had three quality starts in his last four, including an t- incredible 25 save shutout over the Lightning yesterday. Anyone who bet on the Sens to win that game by a shutout probably won a lot of money. I can't even imagine what those odds would have been. So Brian, do either of these two goalies, Forsberg or Ukapekalukkanen, strike you as someone that you would consider grabbing out of free agency now that potentially is going to be like a decent starter for you for the rest of the season like this is above the level of like the last three we talked about these two goalies potentially could be starters and it's usually hard to find a starter but here we, and this isn't a Stoli the goalie who's just a starter until Gibson comes back UPL and Anton Forsberg might just be their team starters and also I will say with Ottawa I know they've been really bad this year but it really seemed like I don't know maybe I'm gonna buy too much into this game over Tampa but like it's you know, they haven't had many games with that top line all healthy, Kachuk, Norris, and Batherson. When the three of them are healthy and going like they were against Tampa, like they, they look a lot better. Like you're a better team when you have a really good top line. And so I wonder if maybe Ottawa's a little better than we've seen so far, which would obviously be good for their starter. Yes, it would be. I, I want to start by talking about Uko Pekka though, in Buffalo. You know, I liked last week taking a chance on Luokanen, uh, and I still like doing that. This week, Buffalo seems, you know, you might be uh, optimistic about Ottawa, but Buffalo seems more stable on the back end than Ottawa, who just waived Michael Delzato after signing him to what was like a three-year contract worth almost $5 million. And like, okay, we told you to play top four, but we're actually just going to send you down to the minors because I think what Ottawa is doing right now is saying like, this season's a goner. Uh, they said at the start of the year that this was their entry year into actual contention. That hasn't happened. A lot has gone wrong for several reasons. And now I think they see the value in tanking for Shane Wright. So I, I don't see Ottawa as as nice as it would be to be optimistic about them. And I think they could still surprise even with a young group because they do have a, a bunch of good players who do deserve uh, at least a look in the NHL to see where they're at in their development curves. Uh, Buffalo seems the more stable team. And I like Uko Pekalukunen for that reason. Uh, like he performed well this last week. That's great. I wonder if he could still do it. But as I said on last week's show, Buffalo presents a decent environment for a goalie to come in and be good. Uh, Not great necessarily because there's not a lot of run support, but there's enough there that they can support a goalie who can come in and be a half-decent player. And I'm hoping that's what Lukanen can be for Forsberg uh, in Ottawa. Regardless of team performance, I don't even think Forsberg should be expected to hold up for so long. We've seen him go on these little runs before. They never last. And we know that the coach in Ottawa, DJ Smith, is a guy with not a lot of patience, too. And Philip Gustafsson is right there. Meanwhile, like you said, Elon, Buffalo has no other options. It's Uko Pekalukanen or bust right now. So I like UPL as a shot if you want to get a rest-of-season starter uh, more than any of the guys we've discussed so far on the show and more than Anton Forsberg. Okay, fair enough. How could I disagree with that great logic that you've presented for, yeah, the situation in Ottawa, you're right. Like, yeah, Forsberg has been good this week, but we talked about just like a few weeks ago how Gustafsson was looking really good, so things could change really quickly. All right, let's switch from goalies now. Let's go to defense, okay? I've got four hot streak defensemen to throw at you. I'd be curious to get your takes, maybe even ask you to do another ranking, which I know you love so much. So I'm going to start in Calgary. These are four defensemen who are on hot streaks, likely available in a lot of leagues, and like... 
doing really well and maybe shouldn't be available, right? So, okay, I'm going to start in Calgary. Rasmus Anderson has been the power play one quarterback, like, all season. Hasn't done well enough to keep him out of free agency in most leagues. Like, he's been in free agency in both of my serious leagues, like, basically all throughout the season. But I think that I missed the boat here because he's been taken in both of them. And maybe I should have been the one to grab Rasmus Anderson. He's been heating up lately. Uh, He had two assists on Saturday versus Boston, which brought him up to four points in his last four games. He's also been contributing some perifs. Like, he had a couple of games with four blocks. And then in that last game, he had zero blocks but the two assists. In the game before those two games with four blocks, he had four shots. So basically, you're not going to get everything. But it seems like every game you get of Rasmus Anderson, he's either going to give you multiple of something, be it assists, be it blocks, be it shots. Uh, If he puts it all together, what a great game that would be. But yeah, so he's been really good. Then, Brian, maybe I'll just say all four of these defensemen, and then you could just like kind of uh, give me your responses to them. Uh, So, okay, he's nodding, by the way, for the people listening to the audio. So he's in agreement. Uh, So then in Detroit, we've got Philip Hronik, who has, of course, rightfully taken a backseat to Moritz Sider, who continues to put up what I think will be a Calder-level season. Sider has five points in the last five games. I'm definitely not going to take anything away from Sider. But Hronik's also been good, right? He's been low-key producing from the shadows uh his one goal one assist game versus colorado on friday brought him to six points in his previous eight games he's just been like super solid like, ever since he was healthy scratched earlier in the year which ryan like don't get mad at me because i know you hate it like i wonder if it helped like i don't know what it is but like he got healthy scratched and now he's back i know you're gonna say probably it's no. more a matter of he was good the whole time and they shouldn't have ever scratched him. <laughs> no i'm actually with you here on philip Ronick. a switch did seem to flip from pre-scratch to post-scratch. And I'm not, like, you know, a player doesn't reinvent themselves because of a healthy scratch, but maybe it was the right motivational tool at the right time. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so yeah, Hronik now, 15 points in 26 games. That's a 47-point pace, which would crush his career high. Still wouldn't be anywhere close to Cider, but pretty good, right? Okay. Then on the Islanders, another team where the top power play quarterback has probably been available in your free agency this whole season, Noah Dobson, but now he's someone that you might want to consider adding because he's got goals in three of his last four games, including on Saturday versus New Jersey, where he scored a power play goal. Uh, So Ryan Pulak is out, right? So the Islanders are finally seeming to run like a normal top power play that gets most of the time like none of this like 50 50 stuff they've been going barzal lee palmary wallstrom and dobson and like they're seeing like 70 plus percent of the pptoi most nights so dobson's doing well he's getting more power play time uh okay and then i've still got one more defenseman but why don't we start with these three actually so uh heronic rasmus anderson noah dobson do you think what we're seeing lately is for real Give us your analysis, give us a ranking, give us the good old-fashioned Brian Calm rundown on these three defensemen. <laughs> old-fashioned. I mean, okay, sure. But w- what we've grown to know and love. Yeah, exactly. So Rasmus Anderson has given us these little glimpses of hope before, but I don't think they're even glimpses of hope. I think it's like, I'm just going to spoil my answer right away. This is just like a little blip, a little hot run for Rasmus Anderson, as far as I can tell. And in his last two seasons, which he spent largely in the top power play role, playing similar minutes to what he's playing now, like over 20 minutes a night, Rasmus Anderson has 36 points in 84 games. That's less than half a point per game. He's averaged fewer than two shots per game, less than a hit per game, and less than uh, about a one and a half blocks per game. That said, I will say the one difference I am seeing in Anderson lately came after he put up those points, which is that he played two straight nights seeing 25 minutes or more of time on ice. And I think, Elon, it's good. Like, I, I don't, it's good 
that you have your eye on him and you're seeing if anything's changed. Like, if that's worth a speculative ad in your deep enough league, okay, you're desperate for defense and you're wondering if Anderson is becoming some kind of different player. Great. Uh, I just need more, right? Until he does this for a few weeks, I'm going to assume him to be who he's always been. But that's the rub, right? It's up to you whether you're going to wait a few weeks uh, and then he'll be gone or you take a chance on him now. And that all depends on your desperation level in management style. I, with four moves a week in the cupful, am probably not racing out to add him when I already have four defensemen plus one on IR that I'm feeling pretty happy with. But if you want to, uh, go ahead and fill your boots. He's the one I'd like the (laughs) least of this group. Fair enough. Okay, so Rasmus said, well, I will say, uh, Calgary (laughs) does play Monday, Tuesday next week. Only one... There's only one game on Monday. It's Calgary versus Chicago. Right. So so if you can add him for free for that game and give him the one game tryout and say, hey, if he gets me a point or if he makes some contribution, I'll hold him again. Sure. Yeah. Go okay, for it. Okay, but fine. He, he's the bottom. Okay, so then we're down to Dobson or Hironic. Yeah, so for Hironic, he's on this, like you say, it was a very quiet 47-point pace. That's 10 points above his previous career best. Last year, Hironic actually deserved better than the 38 points or so that he uh, paced for. But it would be easy to assume Hironic didn't deserve better because he's Philip Hironic and hasn't ever done better and he's on Detroit. But looking at his on-ice shooting percentage last year, Detroit shot less than 5% when Hironic was on the ice. And that's like at least, you know, at least about 3% uh, worse than Detroit should have. So Hronik was the victim of some bad variants last season, probably should have paced for over 40 points, but we didn't get to see that. And this year, um, the on-ice picture is actually really good, and it's more, we're seeing in his 47-point pace, Hronik is doing better than just having, like, bad luck regressing to normal this season. While Hronik is on the ice, the wings are much better this year than they were last year. They're seeing another half an expected goal per 60 minutes, and they're seeing another actual goal per 60 minutes with Ronick on the ice. Last year was brutal. Uh, basically, the Red Wings were scoring one goal per 60 minutes at five on five while Hronik is on the ice. You know, do the math. Assume that Hronik plays fewer than 20 minutes a night. Uh, that's, that's less than one goal every three games while Hronik is on the ice in Detroit. And of course, he's not going to put up points in that situation, but it's nice to see Detroit doing better with Hronik on the ice this year. And Hironic not uh, falling victim to this unfortunate variant. So I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Hironic, and I think he could keep him up. And then Dobson, Elon, this is a this is a classic Dabrowski, a good old fashioned Dabrowski catch. Seeing that Dobson is getting <laughs> more power play time with Pulak out, Pulak's back in like one to three weeks, I guess. So until then. Sure. Yeah, you can get into Noah Dobson, and I'd like him over Rasmus Anderson, but I don't think quite as much as Philip Ronick. The upside might be better, but the consistency just hasn't been there. You know, it's funny that Dobson's on our radars now because he's scoring goals. Like, that's his recent production. Three goals for Dobson on his last 14 shots, which have come over just four games. That's an improvement in Dobson's shot volume. He averaged... Uh, one and a half shots per game last year. And here he is averaging more than three shots per game over his last four. So if Dobson can keep up that shot volume, that's really lovely to see. But he has been quarterbacking like a 70% timeshare power play unit without putting up three shots per game. So that's what I'm watching for for Dobson. Also, some assists would be nice because he's not going to score on three of every 14 shots that he takes. So uh yeah, I would try Dobson if I'm looking short term. 
of this group. I'd look at Hronik if I'm looking medium or long term. And then Anderson, uh, Rasmus Anderson's like your, your Hail Mary of the group. <laughs> I feel like with Rasmus Anderson, he's kind of just like, I think he's like solid enough like that. He's always going to be on that top power play. But like we've seen, like maybe he doesn't have the high highs that the other two. He doesn't do anything there. Yeah. Well, lately he's... Because also Calgary's a good team. I guess it's just a matter of like a lot of power play goals go in and he's not a part of them. But yeah. lately... Anyway, yeah. No, I don't disagree. Actually, we have a surprise entry. Oh my God! <laughs> it's Evan Bouchard's music! So so Adam is here in the chat and he's saying that he wants us to also add Evan Bouchard in this chat because... Okay, so you had Heronic there as maybe the guy you like the best of the group. And there's a good comparison here because Evan Bouchard Bouchard, just like Heronic, currently on a 47-point pace, though while Heronic is heating up, Bouchard has been cooling off. Bouchard, and actually all the Oilers are a little cold lately, uh, but Bouchard had no points in his last four games. Uh, since Darnell Nurse has come back, Bouchard's uh, power play time has gone down. He was getting some second power play every once in a while. Now it's just basically none. Uh, so yeah, Brian, if you had to compare Bouchard to, say, a Heronic or a Dobson, as Adam is saying, both of them are available to him, do, does he drop Bouchard for one of these guys at this point? I like My instinct is to say, yeah, drop Bouchard, because I don't love like a non-power play guy. I know that he gets exposure to McDavid, and like he's a good defenseman. He's getting decent ice time, but I, I don't know. I prefer more of like a go-to guy, and to me that means power play. Like It's pretty rare for a non-power play defenseman to be worth it for offense in fantasy. Maybe he's an exception, but yeah, that's my pick. What do you think? Sure, you're right that it's pretty rare, but Evan Bouchard, like almost all of his production, and he's pacing for 47 points, has come at five on five. He's been doing this without power play production, and it looks like, yeah, he's probably overperforming a little bit at five on five, but I could see like a 40 to 45 point pace coming from him. So would I drop Evan Bouchard for Philip Ronick? I think so. I think I'd also drop him for Noah Dobson in the short term, knowing that you're losing out on Evan Bouchard, who's decent at least putting a couple shots on net per game and a 40-point pace. Like, that's nothing to sneeze at, but Dobson's short-term outlook seems better while he is quarterbacking the no-doubt top power play unit in Long Island, even though he's not doing anything with it so far. I think Bouchard is probably right in the ballpark of of these other guys. Um, So I, I actually might let schedule decide a bunch of it, but I wouldn't drop Bouchard for Rasmus Anderson. And I know this is crazy, but and I know how much you like he's on Calgary. Calgary's good. He's on the top power play. That's really good. But he's he's been in this situation, like I said, for over 80 games and has not managed even a half point per game in that spot. So like maybe you can be optimistic and hope his luck is turning. And you know me, I'll wait and see. Yeah, that's fair. So Adam, uh, hopefully that helped and let us know what you decide. Okay, so Brian, uh, since we're on the Islanders, we're talking about Dobson. I do want to mention a couple other guys here. Uh, I've got to put a spotlight on Matt Barzal, who's been incredible lately. Nine points in his last six games. Remember, he went pointless in five before that. People were talking about if they should maybe drop him in shallower leagues. And we talked about him on the show and said maybe that upside is a bit capped because he's on the Islanders. But like, look, he's clearly an amazing player. I'd love to imagine what he'd be able to do. Like, let's say Boston had drafted him. Well, actually, I guess that's a hard example because, like, he wouldn't have taken over Bergeron's job. Let's say he was on Boston and Bergeron wasn't there. Like, let's say next year Bergeron retires and Barzal's there centering Marchand and, uh, you know, uh, Pasternak. I feel like Barzal would be, like, maybe, like, 
in the contention as well, like a top scorer in the league. Like I really feel like he's such a good player. But yeah, he's clearly capped. Uh, nice to see him breaking out right now. But hey, while Barzal is likely not available in anyone's leagues, one guy that is available and also on a similar hot streak is Oliver Wallstrom, who is only 10% rostered on Yahoo, currently on a run of eight points in his last five games. And he's had multi-point games in four of his last five, including two assists versus New Jersey on Saturday. Uh, four of those eight points in the last five games have come from that now stacked top power play that gets all the power play time. Of course, on the downside, Wallstrom's barely getting even strength time from his line with Peugeot and Parise, but he's still getting points. Like even even strength, he's got four points at even strength in his last five games. So, Brian, do you think this run from Wallstrom is it all for real? Like, I recall having high hopes for him going into the season. A lot of us thought maybe he'd be the one to get the spot on line one with uh, Lee and Barzal at some point. That hasn't happened, but it is nice to see him on the top power play. He's a high pedigree guy. I don't know if Trotz likes him, which is obviously a big point against him. But yeah, what's your current take on Wallstrom and how excited would you be to grab him if he was available for you? I would not be so excited to grab Oliver Wallstrom, but it's not a knock on Wallstrom. It's a knock on his situation, uh, which has improved lately, at least. The Islanders have had such a freaking hard time scoring goals this season. In their first 20 games of the year, the Isles scored three or more goals on just five occasions. That's 15 out of their first 20 games. The Isles scored two goals or less. Uh, that added up to 38 goals for the Islanders in their first 20 games, which is fewer than two goals per game, which is just gross. And uh, now the Isles have scored five goals, four goals, and three goals in their last three games. And we're seeing points show up on their players because of that, finally, including Dobson and including Wallstrom. One of the reasons that the Isles haven't been scoring goals is because they have the seventh worst shooting percentage in the league at five on five, and their offense doesn't deserve to be quite that bad. So it's nice to see some of these guys finally look rosterable. And Wallstrom himself was D-U-E to borrow from Dave Betton in the stream scheme, which you should listen to. The the link is in our show notes. Uh, Wallstrom was D-U-E for some better production. But now he's at a 46-point pace, and that, that looks about proper. I mean, the thing is that you can't be a high-octane scorer in Long Island unless you're Matt Barzal. That's it. I used to think Anders Lee could join Barzal there. No, I knew Jordan Eberle couldn't, but he could at least like get into like the 50-55 point range. And I'm not sure anybody else can. Uh, we were talking, there was a, a someone asking on our Patrons Only Discord server about acquiring Wallstrom in a dynasty league or trading him away, one or the other. But my take was that so long as Wallstrom's an Islander, and so long as the Islanders are under Barry Trotz, and so long as Barry Trotz has chosen this system to play, I don't think... Like, Oliver Wallstrom might be amazing and super offensively gifted and talented, but the ceiling is so low playing as an Islander, and that's why I'm not rushing out to add him. It does make him a little more streamable, like add him to the pile of, you know, Pajot and Beauvilliers and maybe Palmieri, but that's about as far as I'm willing to go with my interest in Wallstrom. Yeah, I'll go a little higher and say higher than Palmieri, not maybe, but I agree with you aside from that. Okay, uh, it's I'm, like, I'm with you saying. there, yeah. 
Okay. By the way, uh, it looks like Troy Terry and Ryan Getzlaff heard my ominous warning that if they don't heat up, we might have to talk about them in a couple weeks. Uh, Troy Terry just scored a goal, assisted by a Fowler and Getzlaff. So there you go. You're back on the squad, guys. Okay. Uh, so, Brian, uh, for the listeners with a keen ear, I did say that I was going to talk about four defensemen. So that's been three. But number four, actually, he deserves to be discussed on his own because he's number one in our hearts. It's our bay, Eric Carlson, who continues his amazing bounce back season his goal yesterday versus dallas extended his streak to 10 points in his last 10 games brian i want to thank my tier one competitor mika for waking carlson up uh he sent me a buy low offer on carlson right before this stretch when he went quiet for a week and i think carlson saw that was like dude i'm not gonna like embarrass myself in like the league named after me and so here he goes He's doing great. Uh, Carlson's out to 18 points in 22 games on the season. That's a 67-point pace. Right? I don't even want to ask you if he can keep up this pace, because I prefer to just revel in his greatness. So please don't say that Carlson can't keep this up. Just revel with me if you'd like. Okay. So you don't want me to tell you if I think this can continue? You just want me to be happy for Eric Carlson? And I want you to say that it will for sure continue. Okay, it will for <laughs> sure continue. Elon, can you just plug your ears for a minute? Okay, okay. I'll just go check the chat here. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, Eric Carlson has this like great five on five bounce back, thanks in part to him scoring six times on forty three shots at five on five. That's a fourteen percent conversion rate versus his usual five to seven percent conversion rate. But that's really it. That's all I'm gonna say about why this. This current almost 70-point pace is not sustainable for Eric Carlson. He's just scoring a few more goals than he should, but it, it is nice to see under the hood things have gotten better. Because remember, Carlson came to San Jose, had one really awesome 70-point season, then two in the tank, and now we're in season number four in San Jose, and we're seeing Carlson's shot rates pop back up to the way they looked in his debut shark season, where he paced for 70 points. Same with his on-ice expected goals number, so things are going better for Carlson. Carlson himself and for the Sharks when Carlson is on the ice. Everything looks decent for Carlson. And I think that's a step up from the last couple years. Not as good as his heyday, but definitely better than those last two years that have been really sad for Eric Carlson and anyone who wants to believe in him. Talking about no one in particular. I could see Carlson probably pacing for 50 to 55 points. I think that's a reasonable <gasps> range of expectation. Oh Elon, you're not supposed to be listening. He's currently pacing for nearly 70 points. And if that's a sell-high opportunity for you, I suggest you explore it before, yeah, the shots don't keep going in 14% of the time. Because I, I think 50 to 55 points is where I would bet on Carlson landing for point pace rest of the season. Eh, I don't know. I think if the shot doesn't go in, then someone will score on the rebound and he'll get the assist. Is that good, Brian? Okay, (laughs) awesome. And then, like, another player on the... If that doesn't happen, then a player on the other team will pick up the puck and, you know, try to do a clear-out pass, but Carlson's going to intercept it, pass it to someone, goal. There you go. So uh, that's that's what I think is going to happen, so we'll just have to agree to disagree I'm glad I did all that research. Well, it doesn't matter. He's Eric Carlson. He's better than your research. Uh, but okay, I guess I will ask you for your opinion on some other Sharks and actually listen to what you say. Because uh, there's a couple other guys on hot streaks right now. T- Tomas Hurdle was cold for a while, but now he's on a huge roll. He has goals in four straight, including a hat trick versus Calgary. So he's just, again, a Timmy's gold mine. if you want to pick him and get yourself a goal and eventually a free coffee. Like uh, I won, by the way. I won uh, seven days in a row of free coffee. We need to contact Tim Hortons, by the way. We like talk about them all the time in our Discord with this little like promotion they have and they don't pay us anything 
I don't, I'll be honest. I don't even like the coffee that much. Like I've been going to get the coffees just because I won them and I wanted to like, well, now, you know. Now they're for sure not going to pay us anything. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I maybe haven't given can, them a like, fair shot. Maybe we can yelp them. It's like we'll say a bunch of negative stuff on the show and then we'll say, hey, if you want to partner up with us, we won't release that portion. Oh, that's that's a good point. Here's the thing. So I'm not like a coffee snob, but I have coffee I like at my house, and I have a lot of it. So it's like, you know, why am I going out to get this coffee that... Anyway, why, whatever. Why leave no one's my claiming... home ever? <laughs> if I'm going to leave my home, I'm going to go to a fancier coffee shop, unless I've earned free coffee by predicting NHL goals. What was I talking about here? Tomas Hurdle has been scoring a lot of goals. Timo Meyer also scoring a lot of goals, getting a lot of points. His two assists versus Dallas brought him to 28 points in 23 games on the season. What? Are we going to see, like, 100 points from Timo Meyer? Like, probably not, but this is just an insane year. And I've got to imagine if he doesn't hit 100, he's going to hit 80, even just with the big head start that he's had so far, unless you say that he's, like, extremely overperforming. And so then, like, when you look at Hurdle and Meyer doing so well, you, of course, in a deeper league, want to look at who they've been playing with. And it's former Toronto Maple Leaf Alex Barabanov, who's been getting in on the fun. He had two assists on Saturday uh, in that game where... You know, I said that Hurdle scored. Uh, He has five assists in his last four games now. So, Brian, you know, we talked about Nino Niederreiter, Andre Kasha, Wallstrom, all getting in on the fun of, like, you know, maybe the other better players who are carrying the play. How interested are you in Barabanov compared to those guys while he's on this line with Hurdle and Meyer? That line is doing amazing things. I have one league where I have Hurdle and Meyer. I'm loving it. I'm having such a great time. I don't have Barabanov because it's not that deep a league. I think it's really like this is like a, it almost reminds me of a Robert Thomas situation because Barabanov does so little of anything else, right? He's averaging one shot per game, although his shot counts have been better lately. They're still not great. And uh, it's a lot of assists because he doesn't take a lot of shots. And uh, most most often he's not doing a whole lot for you anywhere else on the score sheet. So uh, like if you have the patience for someone like a Robert Thomas, then you can go ahead and grab Alex Barabanov if we're comparing him to, okay, the, the guys at the top of the show, we had Kasha and, and Nino Niederreiter, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I would have Barabanov at the bottom of that group. That doesn't mean he's not worthwhile, but I think like I think he could be worth a stream, especially if, if he's going to add a game played or two to your roster. But uh, he's not. I don't feel like I need to go out and get him the same way that I feel like I need to go out and get Kasha or Niederreiter. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, maybe a more fair comparison is like fellow top sixer in San Jose, Jonathan Dallin, who was quiet on Saturday, but went on a stretch of five points in five games before that. So it's fun to have a couple of lower end Sharks players we thought were lower end. Dallin's having like a decent rookie season, right? Like he's not going to win the Calder because there's been other people outshining him, but he's been really good. Like a, if anything, you could say like someone who the Sharks desperately needed, right? Because they've had like, this like good core of players we talked about, like Carlson, you know, Burns, Couture, Hurdle, like Meyer, now, like, you know, like they have, but they've just had such a a dearth of depth options and now they're getting these players who are really helping and uh so yeah dalin versus barabanov let's say i don't know why someone even has to grab a shark it's not like they have a great schedule next week but uh, how would you compare those two i think i'd go barabanov just because of his current deployment but both of these guys you know they, they feel like you know they feel like ottawa senators to me and Jonathan Dolan was a Sens draft pick, of course. I'll squeeze that in there. But they feel like like the depth Sens in that, like, if you see Ottawa has some extra games, you might go out and get Connor Brown or Tyler Ennis or Nick Paul or Chris Tierney. 
I feel like Dalin and Barabanov are probably about as likely to deliver for you. Maybe a little bit more. I don't want to discount them, but it just feels like I have about that level of excitement and interest in them, especially as like long-term options. Yeah, so you know I respect you a lot, but I I respectfully disagree about this. You like them I, I more. like the yeah a lot more, right? Like they're playing yeah, on these great fair. lines and producing. I think you're right. I was probably a little low because because my comparison... you just want to get in your requisite sense talk. <laughs> my... We didn't talk enough with that Forsberg. You yeah. wanted to get in also Connor Brown and Tyler. I, I guess so. Yeah, my comparison was all those guys who don't play on a meaningful scoring line, which is not true about Barabanov. So yeah, thank you for calling me out on that, so I can quickly uh, correct. <laughs> Okay, it's not a call-out, just a fair like, disagreement among friends. Uh, yeah, and Dallin's playing with Couture, right, who's also having a good year. So the, the top six in uh, San Jose is a good place to be so far this year, unlike uh, maybe some previous years. Okay, uh, let's do a sad hot, uh, hot streak now, which normally isn't the case. But unfortunately, I wanted to go into this episode talking about Blake Wheeler and how great he's been for anyone who held on. Because, you know, we talked about him on the show a bunch of times. Everyone was wondering if they can drop him. Basically, from what I recall on the show, we were kind of saying, yeah, we get it. And he's like, Clearly not as good a player, but I recall specifically saying, look, he's still playing on the top line with Shifley and Connor. So even if he's not good, he's probably still going to get some points. But he did more than that. Like he had 12 points in his last seven games from that line. It's been like amazing for anyone who either added him out of free agency or, or held on. But it's all over now, unfortunately. Wheeler suffered a knee injury in Friday's 4-3 shootout loss to Vancouver. And head coach Paul Maurice said, uh, quote, he's going to be out a while. So you never want to hear that from the coach. He said that pretty quickly. So it's clearly pretty serious. Hopefully Wheeler comes back at some point this season. But in the meantime, like we said at the top, we've got doors and windows opening and closing. And here there's going to be a window opening for that plum spot with Shifley, who's having an amazing season, by the way. Like I could spend a lot of time just like fawning over Shifley and Kyle Connor if we had the time, which we don't. Uh, But we should mention that now there's going to be a spot both on their line, maybe on the power play. For what it's worth, uh, mid-game on Friday when Wheeler went down, it was Paul Stafford. Asni, who got up to play with Shifley and Wheeler, and we'll probably have to wait until tomorrow uh, to see what the updated lines are. And this is definitely something that I'll be watching closely. So I would recommend people, uh, you know, follow our at Game Day Lions account to see when it's announced who uh, Maurice has playing with Shifley and Connor. I should say, I said Shifley and Wheeler. No, Shifley and Connor, even better. Okay. Uh, maybe it'll be St- Paul Stasny. Maybe it'll be someone else. Let's say it is Stasny, Brian. How does he compare to some of these guys, like, say, to a Barabanov playing with Hurdle in Meyer? Seems like a pretty similar spot and someone that I'd be at least a little bit interested in. At least a little bit interested in for Paul Stasny. But you look at Mark Shifley and his historical line mates, and they are already always good players. And when Shifley plays with guys who aren't known to be good players, like someone like Paul Stasny, who unfortunately has lost that reputation over the years of being someone who can produce. Shifley has never really turned anyone else into stars. He also hasn't had much opportunity to, um, but it's not like Shifley isn't the sort of guy who we get excited to see players exposed to one, because it's rare and two, because it's never really panned out. And Shifley has actually had runs of play with Stasny in the past. And Stasny was pretty quiet in them. And I wouldn't expect some middle six guy to come in and suddenly be great with Shifley. Maybe Andrew Kopp, if he was the guy picked to jump up, maybe some extra minutes for him would do him good. And maybe that would click with Shifley. But all I'm saying here is that I don't think anyone here is an auto ad because they're playing with Mark Shifley. I would rather Barabanov, who is already clicking with Hurdle and Meyer over whoever is added to Mark Shifley's line. It's, I'm still interested. And I'm still going to watch and see how a couple games play out. But right off the hop, there's no one I'm like, oh, yeah, their value is going to jump because they're playing with Mark Shifley, which is unfortunate. I hope Mark Shifley proves me wrong. 
Yeah, and Kyle Connor. But I, I think I agree with you. It's not like an auto ad, but definitely you're going to want to watch list and pay close attention and be sure to jump on the player if you start seeing something click. Because like we said, Wheeler's going to be out a while, so there's going to be a good opportunity for someone or maybe multiple people if the first option doesn't pan out so well. Uh, so since we're talking about injuries, uh, over on Colorado, we've got a couple. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog exited Friday's game versus Detroit with a lower body injury. It looks like Kadri is out tonight as well. So actually, Colorado is playing like as we speak versus Florida. So I could bring up their live lines over at Frozen Tools, and it looks like the top line has been Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Andre Burakovsky, which is, like, such an interesting name to have here, because uh, I have him in my uh, keeper league that you're in with me, also, Brian, and John and I, my co-manager, we were so close to dropping Burakovsky. The only reason he's still on our team is because he was playing Friday, Sunday, and Mike Hoffman was only playing Saturday, so we decided to drop Hoffman instead, and then Burakovsky scored a couple goals on Friday, and now, like, he's a top liner, and so, <laughs> someone that would be kind of hard to drop, especially because Landeskog is going to be, what, what's the latest, like a couple weeks? I saw two weeks at the, at the top of the show. So not like as long-term as Wheeler, but definitely, you know, for the next couple of weeks, Burkowski's in a really sweet spot. It would be a sweeter spot if he was on the top power play. It looks like the top power play so far today has been McKinnon, Rantanen, JT Comfer, and Valerie Nishushkin, and then obviously Kale McCarr on D. So... I don't know. That's the situation there. Uh, I don't really have a question. For, I guess we could compare like a Burakovsky to whatever, like Kasha, Nino Niederreiter. I guess probably he'd be a little bit, bit below. Though, hey, those are pretty amazing line mates. So yeah, okay. How about that? Uh, Burakovsky uh, compared to Kasha and Nino Niederreiter. Are we talking like in the same category or below since Burakovsky has been like cold for quite a while? No, I'd put him in the same category. I was actually going to like, I thought you might ask if I'd put him higher just because we've seen him like do really well i i like burakovsky in the spot he's in you know it's not not the most stably deployed guy like you mentioned already like his power play role might have been lost and keep in mind logan o'connor was playing on the top line in the last avalanche game so you know there is the possibility that o'connor could replace burakovsky on the top line again at some point so you're not guaranteed to have amazing deployment with burakovsky but the floor is pretty decent with him at least. And yes, he can go really cold, but he can also have uh, weak winning performances. And that's why I would still be at least as interested in him as I would be Nino and Kasha. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Hey, I'm happy to have him in that one league. I guess it's just like he gets, he runs so cold. You know, like right now, Nino and Kasha just seem like hot and in a good spot. Though, yeah, uh, a bit Nino, of a hit. Nino yeah. also runs so cold too. Like that's all true. these guys. That's why we're grouping them together. Yeah, exactly. They're players that might actually be available to people. Bad news for Nino, at least for today. Shams has just shared in the chat here that Aho is going to miss tonight's game due to an illness, uh, hopefully a non-COVID-related illness. Uh, so yeah, obviously that's going to be a hit. I wonder now, now watch Svechnikov go with Tara Vine and who knows that? Ka- Carolina. Also fantasy, right? Like, I already said it at the top of the show. You get these injuries just hit you last minute. What if you needed this game? What if someone's like away from their phone? All of a sudden now they're not going to swap roster bot on our Discord is going to now be hitting all the people who uh, left Aho on their roster with someone on the bench, which I guess won't happen because it's not a busy night of games, but so frustrating. If anyone could come up with a good s- solution to like play fantasy and somehow not have injuries, I feel like that would be so fun, but I guess that's, that happens in a different universe. I guess if you're playing like a simulated fantasy league, which obviously isn't as fun. Uh, okay, so Brian, let's go to uh, Edmonton. I guess we already talked about Evan Bouchard, but yeah, speaking of injuries, so Zach Hyman was hurt in the last game, though maybe it's not that serious. So here's a couple of tweets here from Daniel Nugent Bowman. So Oilers lose 3-1 to one to drop their fifth straight game, blah, blah, blah. To add to the concern, Zach Hyman didn't see the ice after taking a hard hit from Brady Shea late in the third 
third. Hyman appeared to be favoring his right shoulder after the hit. And then he followed that up with another tweet saying, I'm just loading it up now here. Dave Tippett said Zach Hyman didn't finish the game for precautionary reasons. That's, that's all something you want to hear. Not what Paul Maurice said. We want what Dave Tippett said. Precautionary reasons was being checked by the medical staff. The Oilers are off tomorrow. That's Sunday. We should know more on Monday. So obviously something for us to keep our eyes on. Hyman's been having a great year. You'd be really bummed if you had to put him in IR. For what it's worth, Jesse Pugliarvi took Hyman's spot on the top power play after Hyman went down, and he'd already been back with McDavid for a while, has five points in his last seven games, so probably if Pugliarvi was available in your free agency after he went cold and we talked about it on the show how we were concerned about him, you know, in the bottom six, hopefully you already added him, but if somehow Pugliarvi's still available, like, now you especially want him, especially if Hyman is going to be out, because that's even a much better spot to not only be at even strength with McDavid, but also on the power play. Yes. That's all... There is to say. Yeah, there's not much to say. I I concur. Okay, then over in Minnesota, we've got good and bad news, okay? The good news is Jared Spurgeon is back. Uh, The bad news is Jonas Brodin is hurt. Uh, So they just swapped because Brodin had taken over from Spurgeon on the top power play. But now I guess Spurgeon just gets that job back. It would have been interesting to see what they would have done if Brodin didn't get hurt because Brodin had been doing really well. Seven points in his previous eight games, including two recent power play assists versus Edmonton and Toronto. But anyway, now that answers that question, Spurgeon will get the job back. And I think it's a great time to grab him on the cheap because yeah, he's been cold, but he's on the top power play with Kaprizov, like who's just like we've talked about. I, don't, I, I can't just every show just like drool over Kaprizov, but he's just doing so, so well. And you want people who have exposure to him. Uh, maybe you'll say he's like a Rasmus Anderson, you know, like maybe someone who's even if he's getting the exposure, he's not especially exciting. But I don't know. I would still grab Spurgeon. I see he already actually has an assist today at even strength on a goal from Alex Goligoski. So uh I think if now you need a D and Spurgeon's available, I'd be interested. And maybe also if he's not available, maybe now's a good time to make a trade offer. Maybe a little bit less of an optimal situation since he just got a point today. But I think he could go on a little bit of a run just with the spot he has on the roster. He could. He could. I'll, I'll go that far. It's unfortunate because Spurgeon like was a pretty reliable guy across several categories for a long time. And just as he was finally getting to be the guy who could be like the full time or fuller time top power play quarterback, uh, that's when his power play production and other useful production disappeared. Like he's just been declining in the amount of shots he takes per game over the last couple seasons. And last year he saw like the greatest share of power play time that he's ever seen aside from like back in 2012, 13. And he only had nine power play points in 54 games, which is uh, like maybe a 15 point pace over the course of the season on the power play, which is not what you'd hope for from a power play quarterback and only a 38 point pace over a full 82 games this season. Same deal. Two power play points in 20 games, despite seeing over a 60% share of power play time with Kirill Kaprizov. So, uh, I like I still have more faith in Spurgeon than I do in someone like Rasmus Anderson or maybe even Noah Dobson, just because we've seen Spurgeon succeed here before. It's just a little dumbfounding that he continues not to and that he's essentially stopped shooting too is a real kicker. So Spurgeon doing very little of anything. He looks like one of those New York Islanders power play quarterbacks lately, which is a bummer. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm a little bit too high on Jared Spurgeon. So I, I, I think I would grab him if he was in free agency. No, maybe I, would, be, I would too. I would yeah. definitely take a shot on Jared Spurgeon. Like I said, we've seen him do it before. We know he's got it in him. It's just been a long time since we've seen it. 
Yeah, that's fair. Though you know, we used to say that about Matt Duchesne, and look what he's been doing this season. Though he's not going to be doing it for the next little while because he's injured. So let's next go to Nashville talk about Duchesne, who uh, didn't play today versus the Rangers uh, due to an upper body injury. So I'm not sure what the. I think that's the latest update, right? Like, we don't yet know how long he'll be out. Uh, Nashville was also without Ryan Johansson, who was put into the COVID protocol. So it might be a bit of a long stretch of him not playing if he ends up going for like that full ten games. So in the meantime. Time. Nashville ended up beating the Rangers 1-0, and let's see uh, what they were doing here. I didn't write notes because I knew we'll just find out when we actually get the lines from the game. So it looks like Forsberg was playing with Granlund and Philip Tomasino. So there you go. I was actually wondering if maybe it was going to be Tolvin and getting the spot with Forsberg and Granlund, but it looks like it's Tomasino, who scored a goal today, assisted by Forsberg and Alexandre Carrier. Uh, let's take a look at the power play now. Everyone getting a behind the scenes of how I like look into these types of things. Okay, so Granlund, Forsberg, Colton Sissons, Ellie Tolvanen, and Roman Yosi. Okay, so it's a classic case, Brian, where I have to ask you, would you prefer uh, Philip Tomasino, who's on the top line, or do you prefer someone like uh, Tolvanen or just nobody? Like, since Tomasino isn't on the top power play, at least Tolvanen is. So, uh, I don't know. Like, clearly, like, Duchesne's been doing really well from his spot, though. He's gotten both top line and top power play. Gotta imagine Tomasino has a little... But By the way, going into the season, if you recall, we did that show with Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life podcast and the last episode of Short Shifts, and he was pretty high on Tomasino and thought he could be a high-pedigree rookie. Hasn't worked out, like, to the same extent, maybe, as, as we hoped, but... Clearly, he's got a lot of skill from what he did in previous years before getting to the NHL, and now, like, pretty good spot playing with Forsberg and Granlund, who have been really hot lately. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a nice place to be, and I think I would prefer Tomasino over Tolvanen because nothing really changes for Tolvanen, and he hasn't done anything really great with like we talked about him on the last show that there are like some signs of life and there is still some upside with Tolvanen but there's not a whole lot that makes him really exciting to stream in and Tomasino yeah like you said at the start of the season we were pretty you were actually very excited about him and this is another opportunity to feel excited about Tomasino and he's got some pretty good line mates so he seems like a, a decent uh, choice to stream in like I, I i really truly don't know what to expect and how much he can deliver in his last three games he has exactly one shot on goal combined so like that's disappointing but at least he has those two points to at least interest you a little bit in the meantime but anyone playing with philip forsberg i'm interested in yeah, and Granlund, who's been good. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good spot. Maybe it's similar to uh, Barabanov, right? Like maybe he's not shooting a lot, but he's playing with good line mates. And so we're giving you lots of options for the people in your super deep leagues. Uh, if again, like Kasha and Nino are already taken. Let's go now to St. Louis. So I want to first give a shout out to Short Shifts co-host Louis Ezekiel, who I played in a couple this week and I beat him. But honestly, like I don't take any joy in this win because Lewis got absolutely destroyed by injuries. He has four IR spots like all of us. It just wasn't enough. His his injury list was just overflowing every day. Someone else was getting hurt. But like on the plus side, Lewis may have just scored on another huge FA grab because on Thursday he picked up Ivan Barbashev before the weekend and he continues to dominate. Like Barbashev is just getting points game in game game out. He scored a goal versus Montreal on Saturday. That brought him to nine points in his previous eight games. St. Louis also played today. Uh, they ended up losing to Anaheim 3-2. to two. So, by the way, stole the goalie. Another good game for him. If you want to go back to that segment. Yeah, Barbashev. Oh, no points. So, uh, there you go. Like, a small surprise after, like, such a good run. But hey, he's not going to get points every game. But, like, he's been in a really good spot because St. Louis, just like Louis's team, has been hit with injuries 
injuries lately. So Robert Thomas is down. Jordan Cairo ended up not playing today. I don't think we know uh, the extent of the Cairo injury. That was uh, something more recent. So they were running lines of Tarasenko, Barbashev, and Buchnevich. And then Ryan O'Reilly with Saad and someone named Logan Brown, who I, I'll be honest, I don't know who that is. And then Braden Shen with Oscar Sunkfist and Nathan Walker. Uh, and then I see that Braden Shen got injured today. The Shams wrote that in our chats. That's another injury that we're going to have to deal with. And I'll point out that Nathan Walker, who's this guy from Australia who had a hat trick in his first game, I'm not sure if it was his first game ever or his first game this season, uh, he, I think, has another point today. Yeah, Nathan Walker, a goal and an assist today. So maybe Brian and I should just be spending this segment asking who is Nathan Walker. I did. Okay, so just to summarize my thoughts, because we're getting a lot of updated news here about St. Louis. I haven't even gotten to the goalies yet, but. Um, yeah, Barbashev is on a hot run, and he's playing now on what looks like, if not the top line, like a top line with Tarasenko and Buchnevich, and he's also getting power play time with Saad, Tarasenko, Buchnevich, and uh, I guess Scott Perunovich. So I think Barbashev is someone you probably want to consider seriously adding at this point because he's on a super hot run, and he's now getting a good deployment that he didn't even have at the start of the hot run. And then lower down, Brian, who's this Nathan Walker guy? And is he someone we should be paying attention to? Because he's like came out of nowhere, and he's like 27 years old. He barely has an NHL career, and now he's getting points every game. Nathan Walker, the pride of Australia, drafted by Washington in the third round back in 2014, 89th overall. And yeah, it's been a long time for Nathan Walker. Like, drafted back in 2014, we're like seven, eight years later, and he's played 28 NHL games. But he has had a pretty solid AHL career, including this season in Springfield. Nathan Walker has six goals and 11 assists for 17 points in 19 games. And as you mentioned, he's having this NHL impact now, too, which is exciting. Uh, The last club, I mean, he was drafted by Washington, as I mentioned, and he got like a bit of a look with them. Nothing really extended. Um, but I always like, I, I, it seemed like there was a time where he, they were trying to work him into the lineup and things just didn't work out. Um, now it is like, it's kind of a bummer, but he and Braden Shen were just getting going and now Braden Shen's out. And I'm not sure how much that impacts Nathan Walker. If you're looking for like a St. Louis depth forward though before you look at Nathan Walker I'd first look at Barbashev who yeah is on this 56 point pace so far this season probably has like an extra power play point he has four power play points from the second unit over 28 games which is probably a a titch high and he might have scored you know a little more uh like his, his shooting percentage might be a little high too but overall he looks pretty decent and he's seeing better deployment than he's ever seen before. Three and a half minutes more per night compared to last season. That's a huge jump. And the large majority of that coming at even strength. So yeah, he is, uh, he's earned this top six role that he's found himself into. So Barbashev looks good there. And then I'm actually really curious to see Logan Brown show up on the second line tonight, playing with Brandon Saad and Ryan O'Reilly. Um, the reason why is because, Elon, you said you don't know who he is. Well, let me tell you about Logan Brown, who was drafted by, I'll give oh, you one the guess. the Senators? <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to bring up the Senators. We don't have time. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> but no, I, I, he's been mentioned on the show before as a possible centerman who could who could play in the Sens top six. But things really soured between him and Ottawa. And any time that he was about to get a shot, he got injured. Um, he had some really great HL production, like basically a point per game in the HL over the course of his pro career so far, but never a fair swing in the NHL until now. And now he's up to five points 
in seven games. Uh, his ice time's low, but it's going in the right direction. He's been playing 13 or 14 minutes the last few games after starting in a fourth line role. And like I said, he's gotten the look uh, to play with Saad and Ryan O'Reilly. So I think I might look at Logan Brown. I won't say ahead of Nathan Walker. Well, I will because of his line mates. I'm not sure who Nathan Walker plays with now that Braden Shen is out. Um, But there's a few interesting depth forward options in St. Louis. I mean, yeah, I'll just take Nathan. I mean, whatever. This this is super deep. We don't need to debate Logan Brown versus Nathan Walker. But I actually just added Nathan Walker in my dynasty league where like no prospects of any like pedigree are ever available. And so it's super rare to even get anyone like, you know, outside of the draft. So I just added him. So take that, Victor. I've got a superstar for free out of free agency. Woo! Okay. Uh, Brad, I've already got to do update. This is the fun thing of doing a live show. Like, I like this, actually. But, like, a lot of the things we've talked about, we're getting updates on as we speak. Uh, so, in Colorado, Andre Burakovsky just scored a power play goal assisted by McKinnon and Rantanen. So, I guess he did get on that top power play at some point, at least for a short time, long enough to get a goal. So, that probably bodes well for him staying there. So, even more exciting. If Burakovsky's both on the top line and top power play, that'd be huge. It's now one nothing Colorado after two. Darcy Kemper. No, not to jinx him. Having a good game so far. That's all I'll say. Uh, so, you know, doing his best now that he sees that Francis is on the bench, uh, breathing down his neck. Also, uh, just to go back to our Jared Spurgeon talk, he's, uh, you know, another point now and a power play assist at that. So maybe he listened to us and is like, hey, I'm, I'm good on this power play. I can do this. So, um, yeah, he assisted on a Zuccarello goal. So that's that. By the way, Robin Leonard now in this game. It's 2-2 between Minnesota and Vegas. And Leonard, another bad game so far. Two goals against on eight shots. There's some, like, live updates for you. What do I have next on the actual show? Oh, yeah, on St. Louis, I still wanted to mention kudos to Charlie Lindgren for putting up two sterling starts for the Blues with Bennington and Husso out. He had three goals against on 57 total shots versus Detroit and Montreal. Word is Bennington should be back next week from the COVID protocol, but Husso might still be out a little while. I wonder if maybe they give Bennington at least the break on Tuesday, let him just back up since he's, you know, maybe getting back back up to speed. Why not give Charlie Lindgren another start? So anyways, all that to say, I think if I, well, I do actually have Charlie Lindgren in one league and I'm not planning on dropping him just yet. Even when Bennington is announced to be healthy, I'm going to wait until that Tuesday starter is announced because I just have a hunch that maybe Lindgren gets at least one more game. And yeah, he's also someone that, you know, eventually he will get get sent back down to the minors, but I have my eye on him. Like, I'm curious to see when's the next time he'll get an opportunity in the NHL. I know Victor said on Thursday that he's not into him. He didn't do well on the Habs, but it seems like he's doing well in the minors this year. He's had two good games. So, you know, I don't know. It's a name I'm going to remember for the next time he gets a shot, either with St. Louis or someone else. So good job, Charlie Lindgren. Brian, do you want to comment on? No. Okay, so let's continue here. Let's end. Okay, let's end the show over in Tampa. Corey Perry was on an amazing run before he and the team got shut out by the Sens and Anton Forsberg on Saturday. Before that, though, Corey Perry had a stretch of 10 points in 10 games. Brian, we've brought up so many potentially good streamers on this show, including like a Nathan Walker even. But, you know, we've got a lot of patrons who've been asking us about Corey Perry and whether they should like be adding him or dropping him. You know, oftentimes it's a question where it's like a list of like, you know, five different players. And it's like, who would you want the most? And then Corey Perry's on the list. So let's just answer, like, what do you think about Corey Perry and the streak that he just went on? Do you think that we're, like, in the middle of a roller coaster ride and now we've, like, already gone, you know, all the way up and now it's time to go down? Or are we still on the way up and Corey Perry... Like, has he shown you anything to convince you that maybe he's for real and as a 36-year-old he still has some gas in the tank and he can continue to be productive with his role on Tampa? No. 
<laughs> there's, there's the uh, I mean, like, look, there's opportunity in Tampa for someone, you know, with the injuries they have for someone to step up and, and do something in like a top, I don't know, a top nine role, I guess is what it would be. I, I was actually more interested this week in what Taylor Radish was doing on the top line. Uh, he had a, a two point game against Toronto before the lightning were shut out, but has been playing with Stamkos and Palat, uh, along with like Matthew Joseph also saw a little bit of time there, but that's why I am, uh, yeah, I, I honestly, if I were to pick a Tampa guy to, to bring in, I know it's been like, fun to see Corey Perry produce, but you asked as a 36-year-old, Elon, I think even when Corey Perry was like a 31-year-old, I was like, we like he's going to fall off a cliff. There's not a whole lot to see here from Corey Perry. He's scored six times on 24 shots over this run that, that got him 10 points in 10 games. So he scored on a quarter of his shots. It was great that he was taking three per game, and he's actually been a, a decent shot taker this year. So we'll at least give him that. But also, we can't forget that in the 16 games leading up to this run, Corey Perry had but one single point. So I, I think, obviously, uh, Corey Perry is not 10 points in 10 games. He's also not one point every 16 games. But right now, he has 11 points in 27 games for an 82-game pace of about 33 points, which is exactly in between his 82-game pace from the two prior seasons. So I feel pretty comfortable thinking that that's who Corey Perry is. And uh, anyone can get hot. That's great. But if everything were balanced over the rest of the season, I don't think we'd expect a whole lot of production from him. Okay, man. I agree with you 100%. Sad to bring him up because he's on a hot streak and that's my job. But yeah, it's nice to see, but not something I expect either. You bring up Taylor Radish. I saw you were like tweeting about Taylor Radish from our account and saying anyone listen to Ben Queller, who is like a singer that I recall you used to be being into. And I think I remember I listened to a couple of his albums, but like, what do they have to do with each other? Okay, so Ben Queller was in this band called Radish. And I, oh. and I think it was spelled with a Y but only one D so similar to Taylor Radish's name and was like this bit, there's this big bidding war from all the record labels to sign his band Radish because they were supposed to be the next big thing. And that just fizzled out completely. And then he went solo and did, did okay. So, yeah. I mean, not well enough to get like more than what was like two likes on your tweet. Oh, I, I, think I'm most surprised people... it got that many. It was like purely <laughs> self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah well congrats on Sorry. having one of our worst performing tweets of, of the year <laughs> sometimes <laughs> i just do that it's like two for you one for me and that was definitely one just for it Brian. was actually the one thing i did notice is that uh both those other tweets that i retweeted were also from past decembers so december is taylor radish gets our attention month he's done it again Okay, well, good for you. I, I, I have a feeling we're not going to talk about him for the rest of the, the season, but I guess we'll wait and see. So that's been another fun show, Brian. The, the two hours have just flown by. I've really had a blast talking through all the teams. It was also fun with everyone in the chat giving us updates on what's going on in the games as we speak. And hopefully by the end of this, we've given people a lot to think about in terms of players you maybe want to drop and also lots of potential options that you may want to grab both on D, in net, at forward, I guess there's no, there's no other positions that are available to you unless you're like Patty here watching CFL and then you could get to a lot of other positions in other sports. But yeah, that's, that's what we've got for you as far as what's going on in the NHL. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you like it, uh, and you want more. 
Obviously, you want to subscribe to us on your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, so you get your shows automatically, both our Sunday shows and the Short Shifts episodes, the two that come every week by the great Ben Burnett and Louis Ezekiel. Then you also probably want to be subscribed to the Stream Scheme, which is a really great podcast. I guess you'd call that like a sister podcast of Keeping Carlson. Uh, and Dave, every week, does a show where he looks at the schedule for the following week and recommends players that you may want to stream in specifically for their schedule. It's it's really great. Like it's not only like useful, it's also just really funny and a very quick listen. So check out the latest stream scheme. Uh, you just search for that on again, like Apple podcasts or whatever. Um, we would love to hear from you uh, for, with any feedback. Uh, so tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you thought. If you like the show, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review with a nice comment over on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way to help support the show without you know costing yourself anything, but it's really like a big favor you do that helps us raise in the rankings so more people can find us. And then if you if you really, really like the show and you want to actually support the show uh, with, your, with your wallet, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson, and we really try to make it worth your while. We ask for $5 a month, and in exchange you get access to our patron only discord server which is just a really fun place to be and by the way i should also say thanks to everyone who is a patron like you guys are making just my life so fun all the time uh, i just i every time you check in there's always like the like useful just like the stream scheme it's like useful information and also just a lot of fun a lot of laughs i really love the community that we've built up there so yeah come join us over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron we also have some other perks for becoming a patron you could read all about it at that website that i already said keepingcarlson.com slash patron but okay with that brian let's finish this baby off let's cue the outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dauber hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters flash christopher andrea tom Derek, david rob and patty thank you for your extra support to make sure episodes of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast keep coming shout out to our cupful coordinator kevin a bear and our team of co-commissions keeping the cupful running smoothly kkupfl.com thanks to shams ben amore for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on our suite of nhl fantasy news twitter accounts get a pencil or just search them on twitter now as i say them you want to join them uh follow them on at game day lines at Game Day News NHL and at Game Day Goldies. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey Frozen Tools, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoldies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports, Edge, and Yahoo. All right, great job as always, Brian. Uh, before I let everyone go, let me just quickly say happy birthday to my wife, Dina. Uh, we're going to hopefully wow. have a really fun day tomorrow. I'll, I'll try to get this show edited in the next two hours so I don't spend any uh, time during the birthday on the podcast. But yeah, thanks everyone again. Happy birthday, Dina. And we'll see you all in a week for the next mega show. Until then, happy birthday, Dina. And I'm sure she will do. And I encourage you to do everything you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.